moment you've all been waiting for. It's time for the Steak for Breakfast podcast. It's Friday, January 13th, 2023, and this is the People's Podcast. This is Steak for Breakfast. This is not Nam. This is bowling. There are rules. Today, Junior, America. Steak for breakfast. So stand by. This episode of the podcast is brought to you, as always, by Man Rubs. Rubs, barbecue tools, blow torches, t-shirts, coffee cups, and all-around barbecue-related gear for you to make barbecue great again can be found at manrubs.com and on Instagram, manrubs. Use the code STEAK15 for 15% off your order. The Pillow King of Minnesota and the apparatus known as the MyPillow family always got the big, big savings down at MyPillow. MyPillow Classics, the Air Lindells version 1 and 2, the My Slippers. My dog beds and Giza dream everything. When you enter promo code steak, you're going to experience those big savings. If you're more of a morning person, they've launched my coffee. It's available in the bean, the bag, and the pod. You enter promo code steak here, you're getting 25% off your order, 50% off when you make it a monthly subscription. MyPillow.com forward slash steak for anything sleep related. If you want the coffee, MyStore.com forward slash steak, or you could always talk to a qualified pillow representative, 1 800 658 8045. The top tier of ear gear and the world's most technologically advanced in-studio recording equipment specializing in headphones can only be found at Odyssey. Whether you're gaming, potting, see how many times it takes to nail the intro? Get those ear needs taken care of and done upright. Odyssey.com is the website. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram as well. Friends, don't forget to follow the show on Instagram at Steak for Podcast Breakfast. There you'll find a link tree that will take you to all our social medias, the website, our newest Substack, Telegram channel, and more. On that note, to everyone joining us today in the Patriot Podcast Network via the Roku app from the Republican High Command, Instagram, Discord, and now via our verified accounts on Twitter, Getter, and True Social. Welcome, Friday edition, Steak for Breakfast Podcast, episode 204. I'm Roan. Noah's here. Yo. Antoinette's joined us. Hey, guys. Guys, we've got a great show lined up. DC Drano's making his Steak for Breakfast debut. Liz Harrington's going to be here dropping MAGA truth bombs, and we're going to sit down with EJ Antoni from... The Heritage Foundation to talk the economy. But before we get to any of that, let's jump right into it. Raheem Kassam was set to join us today on the show. We were excited to have him. He was going to talk about his latest Substack, uh, which took a deep dive into the 154-page testimony report regarding Ray Epps. But life happens, and so does the news, with the massive revelations that have come out with the appointment of a special counsel uh, regarding Joe Biden's mishandling of classified and sentiment sensitive documentation over the course of the last 48 hours. Raheem took to his Substack and uh, provided us with a little insight into where he sees this going from here. So with him scheduled to be on the show on our next edition of Steak for Breakfast, we're going to lead in today with a little bit of uh, his over-encompassing narrative regarding this developing situation. Happy Friday, everybody. Oh, my gosh, it's Friday the 13th. Um, this is Raheem. I, I hope you know that <laughs> because you click this podcast. Um, I just wanted to jump on here very quickly while I make my tea today 
to talk about something that a lot of people have been DMing me about in the last 24-48 hours, which is um, the deep state going after Joe Biden. At least that is how it is being uh, couched to me. I don't necessarily disagree, but I wanted to throw in um, just additional uh, points of information here. So, um, just trying to think what I'm having here. I'm going to have chai, and then I'm going to add some chaga to it. Um, if this Chaga brand, by the way, wanted to uh, sponsor me, I'd be totally happy with that. Um, so, I was reminded of uh, an occasion, uh, gosh, I forget the year now, uh, 2015, maybe, uh, maybe 2016, I'm having lunch at Shepherd's in Westminster, in London, you know, our, our version of Capitol Hill. And I'm having lunch with Nigel Farage, just a catch-up, friendly, nothing formal, no formal agenda. Uh, but, you know, as ever, he says to me, so, you know, what's popping up on your radar? And at the time, this was before uh, Emmanuel Macron became French president, at the time, I said to him, well, you know, I picked up on uh, the Politico magazine and a bunch of other news outlets around Europe uh, have really been pumping this um, little-known French finance minister called Emmanuel Macron and he says well what you know what do you think is going on there I said I think they're positioning him to be the president and I think they're trying to position him as this kind of faux or pseudo populist French president he says okay yeah all right I'll go away and look at it we leave I'm I'm walking back to my uh, apartment uh, past a really good restaurant that everybody should go to if they want to sponsor me too that'd be cool it's called the cinnamon club and as the cinnamon club is an old library and it's got all these steps leading up to the front door and as I'm walking past it there's a big gaggle of people coming down those steps and I thought oh hello what's going on here I look into the middle of the gaggle and it's none other than Emmanuel Macron who was in town for some kind of finance conference something or the other but of course all the press are starting to push in his direction at that point so I kind of jostle my way into the middle of the the circle of people around him and I tap him on the shoulder or pat him on the shoulder and I said you're Emmanuel Macron which I'm sure he was shocked to hear um, and he turned around to me and said oh yes thank you very much you know um, that's my French accent by the way and I said, I was just at lunch with Nigel Farage. And he goes, oh, yeah. And his tone sort of changes and he, he's a little bit more defensive. And I said to him, yeah, I told him that I think you might be the next president of France. And he said, oh, thank you. I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. You know, non-committal, trying to do that whole, you know, well, if the people demand it type thing. And uh, I said to him, well, you know, I didn't say it would be a good thing. <laughs> at which point he turned around and walked away and maybe got ushered away by some of the people around him who were listening. Um, but the reason I'm telling this story is that I think that the Biden staff, you know, oh, we found some documents. When? Oh, several months ago. Oh, yeah, just telling us now. Yeah. Oh, we found some other documents. Second location. Oh, yeah. When? Oh, you know, don't worry about that. Oh, we found a third tranche of documents. Okay. So, I think what they're doing here is, yes, the deep state is going after Biden to some extent, but really what they're trying to do is lump Biden and Trump together. Old, you know, what, what's the phrase that, that the wokists use? Stale, male and pale, right? I mean, they can't really use pale to describe, 
you know, the great orange man, but, um, you know, yesterday's men, the old way of doing politics, Mark Zaid's uh, partner actually had an op-ed in CNN yesterday, which kind of made this point in a roundabout way about the old way of declassification and we have to change the way that all works trying to lump these two things in together. Number one, because they can't pin anything on Trump, so they have to find a tactical retreat that doesn't embarrass the state and the state apparatus, ding, 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 themselves. But they also think, well, you know, Biden, uh, two birds, one stone, it all starts to make sense. So that is the kind of, you know, it's not the 2.0 version of the theory, it's sort of the 1.5 version of the theory. But here's what I'm calling it. Uh, you know, I think what we're looking at for the next Democrat candidate for president is a deep state populist or an administrative state populist. I like deep state populist and deep state populism. You know, Barack Obama was a deep state populist, but he wasn't. He wasn't all the bells and whistles that he hoped that, or that they hoped that he would be. He nearly got all the way there. He nearly completely destroyed the United States. Uh, but then along came Trump and, and sort of, you know, breathed some new life into all of it uh, and into the process and all of that. Um, and then, of course, that's when the throttle really started to happen. I mean, the hands around the neck of actual representative democracy in America. Um, and when you have your hands around the neck uh, like that, uh, you know, th that's when you'll start to see the death throes of democracy. And actually, I was reading very recently a piece um, I think it was in IM Magazine about, you know, January the 6th really being um, one of these sort of last gasps of, of representative democracy. I, I hope it was in there. If it was somewhere else, I, I apologize for that. Anyway, bear that phrase in mind. We're going to start using that a lot more. You're going to start seeing it a lot more. Deep state populism and whoever they pick next as a result of this, you know, try to do a, a plague, a pox on both their houses type deal. That will be your Emmanuel Macron. Anyway, the tea, uh, the kettle is boiled. The tea is about to be ready. I'm going to go and drink it. You go and have a great weekend. Cheers. When you saw the photograph of the top secret documents laid out on the floor at Mar-a-Lago, what did you think to yourself looking at that image? How that could possibly happen. How one, anyone could be that irresponsible. And I thought, what data was in there that may compromise sources and methods? By that, I mean names of people who helped, or et cetera. And it's just uh, totally irresponsible. By the way, that's kind of a consensus view in Washington, a city that needs to change. Harmeet Dillon plans to try and change it. She's running for RNC chair. She joins us tonight to assess what we're seeing now. Harmeet, thanks so much for coming on. So he did the right thing. Is that a legal defense? Not at all, Tucker. What, what we are seeing here is actually a cover-up of typical Washington proportions. Uh, in fact, it looks now like at least one of these troves of documents was identified before the midterm elections, but we're just hearing about it now. So it was concealed from the country uh, to affect the outcome of an election. Secondly, it looks like there have been at least now three instances of these documents being moved. The first is out of the White House in 2017 as the Obama and Biden administrations were vacating. Secondly, into location number one, 
thirdly into location number two. And if the DOJ were serious about this, Tucker, they should be raiding all of Biden's homes and vacation destinations over the last several years to see, you know, rifle through the, uh, the, the sofa cushions, see if there are any classified documents there, because you can really have no confidence with this set of facts that we're at the end of the discovery of these documents. And um, I just want to ask you really quickly about the news that just broke that Joe Biden, who's trying to put Donald Trump in jail for having classified documents at his home, also had classified documents at his office at the University of Pennsylvania. What do you make of this? Well, this is a huge story. It's very serious. As a matter of fact, Joe Biden conceivably stole those documents. What people need to understand is the president of the United States is the only one that can declassify documents, not the vice president. For Joe Biden to steal documents and have possession of them, this is a serious investigation, and the communists at NARA can't hide it anymore. And Merrick Garland and the Department of Justice, they have to be held accountable if they don't treat Joe Biden exactly the same way they're treating President Trump. I think the key is what the facts and the evidence are, mm -hmm. uh, what the FBI and the intelligence community learn about these documents, how they ended up there, who else saw them. Mm -hmm. Because apparently they've been moved around. It's not like they were in a vault. They were in a storage room where people go in and out getting umbrellas for the pool or, you know, something else. So I think that we have to <laughs> we have to wait and we have to. We have to have, I think, two minds about this. No one is above the law. Yeah, and right. the rule of law in a democracy, uh, you know, has to be our standard. But we should not rush to judgment. Right. We should take it seriously. We should be concerned about it. And we should follow the facts. President Biden campaigned on a promise to stay true to the spirit of transparency. Why then, how is it possible that the White House did not reveal the presence of these documents prior to the election when they were found? Again, the president spoke to this personally uh, yesterday. You heard him at the press conference. He laid out, uh, he laid out uh, what he knew and he talked about how important uh, and how he sees this as a serious matter when it comes to uh, classified documents and information. He talked about when, uh, about how he was surprised to learn uh, about the records uh, that were that had been found there, uh, and uh, he laid out his process and his thoughts. I'm just not going to go beyond that. Again, we released information that was very transparent, uh, meaning the, the information that you all got received from the White House Counsel's Office. And uh, I'm just, I, I, I know, I, I just, I. Know I know you all are going to have a lot of questions. I get that and I understand that, but I'm not going to go uh, beyond the process. And that was the uh, week that was heading into Friday where we're at today and the crisis that Joe Biden seems to have on his hand currently. Ooh, it's awkward. It certainly was. And, and so was him fielding questions yesterday that we'll get to in a bit. So we let off with a little different today. Uh, that was a brief podcast that you heard from Raheem Kassam at the top of the show and then a montage which led into where we're at right now, which is what's going on with these classified documents that were discovered at some point last year before the midterm elections were either hidden or repressed, obviously, for reasons to not influence the midterm elections and now are being shown on display for all to see. So welcome to the show. If you're a first-time listener, thanks for joining us today. If you're one of the 
OG Steak for Breakfast enjoyers, welcome back. Don't forget to follow us across all social medias. Just put in Steak for Breakfast podcast. You'll find us on Twitter, Getter, True Social, Instagram, all that stuff. And uh, on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, subscribe to the show, rate it, and don't forget to leave a review as well. So we're going to be unpacking, and, and, and we've already started a, a good deal of it, this this whole thing that's going on with Joe Biden. It seems like the administrative state is definitely pushing back on the fact that he's quietly reannounced his re-election bid in 2024. And even though everybody seems to have goose-steppedly gotten in line behind him and showering him with support, everyone from Klobuchar and Warren in the Senate to Governor Gavin Newsom and everyone in between, it, it seems like... Maybe the experiment that is Joe Biden is uh, nearing the end of its extreme value, which is, you know, the empty suit who's told what to do. And then he goes out there and does it until he gets mad and then he yells at people um, and then thinks it's cute when he comes out five minutes later with an ice cream cone to tell everybody what flavor it is. Delicious. But the fact of the matter is, is that some of these documents, while he was serving as the vice president under Barack Obama, uh, were moved from the White House to uh, the Biden UPenn Global Outreach Center, a think tank, if you will, where half of the administration officials, everybody from Tony Blinken uh, down to uh, advisors to the president and speechwriters, got six-figure jobs to do nothing. A non-government entity. Yes. With classified documents just chilling in their broom closet. I said it's a think tank. Listen here, Jack. Oh. Garages are fine. (laughs) It's not like it's out on the street. It sure isn't. Well, technically, only if the garage door is open, but that doesn't happen. Actually, it did on TikTok when Joe Biden was showing off the car. This is a mess. Did he drive away with it open? Mm. There was a huge pile of... No, I saw that, but uh, like, did he drive away and like not close the door? That would be amazing. Who knows? I I can at this point. That's what the thing is. And, and, And getting back to the think tank, there is so much normal stuff that goes on within the Democrat Party. Dark money just pouring in from China. Anything from thirty to fifty-five million dollars in in undisclosed donations from unknown entities coming out of China. There's like a one big lump sum. It's a twenty-two million dollar donation uh, to the to the Biden think tank that basically said um, the name of the company was like Happy Fun Times, like Smile China, literally, and they donated twenty-two million dollars just blanketedly to this. Joe Biden Center for Global Outreach and and money laundering, apparently. So everybody that served there now pretty much serves in the administration. Some people have come and gone. There are, I believe, two ambassadors uh, working under the Biden administration that serve there as well. And and we're at this point now to where we see Joe Biden's special interests, namely China, uh, you know, have a major influence, not over him and his administration, but apparently there was a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes as well. Some of the original documents that were found in the first trove included documents that were from the countries related to the Ukraine, Iran, and uh, the UK. When I hear those three names, I think of the Iran deal from the Barack Obama administration. I think of Russiagate in in regards to the UK. And, And then when you want to talk about Ukraine, money laundering machine goes burnt. So that's kind of where we're at with that. And uh, Joe Biden fielded questions yesterday. And uh, remember in the montage of that 60 Minutes interview that he did last year when they were having a good time dunking on Donald Trump, raiding his house and going through his wife's underwear drawer and playing with his kids' toys, that Joe Biden sat down for a, for a very pivotal message. Peter Ducey threw it back in his face yesterday. Let's hear it. Okay. Classified, classified material next to your Corvette. What were you thinking? 
Let me, uh, look, I'm going to get a chance to speak on all this, God willing, soon. But as I said earlier this week, Does that mean he's going to die? People, and by the way, my Corvette's in a locked garage. Oh. Okay, so it's not like you're sitting out in the street. So but anyway, in a garage. yes, as well as my Corvette. Um, but as I said earlier this week, people know I take classified documents and classified material seriously. Mm. I also said we're cooperating fully and completely with the Justice Department's review. As part of that process, my lawyer has reviewed other places where documents in my, uh, of, from my time as vice president were stored, and they finished the review last night. They discovered a small number of documents of classified markings and storage areas in file cabinets in my home and my, in my, my, my personal library. This was done in the case of the Biden Penn. This was done in the case of the Biden Penn Center. The Department of Justice was immediately, as was done, the Department of Justice was immediately notified, and the lawyers arranged for the Department of Justice to take possession of the document. So you're going to see. We're going to see all this unfold. I'm confident. Thank you very much. Of course, thank you very much. <laughs> he was out of there, stage left. Mm. Ooh, I, Noah, you are you are a classified documents expert on this show. <laughs> now, when you talk about the difference between a file cabinet at the Biden Center for Global Outreach and uh, CCP money laundering, and his garage where his Corvette is parked, remember the garage is locked. Compared to like a uh, skiff that they have at Mar-a-Lago, what mm-hmm. do you think the biggest? contrasts are in regards to uh, how these documents were safely or lack thereof not securely stored. You mean besides an aluminum roll-up door? Mm. <laughs> I mean, the storage requirements for classified documents, I feel like they're a little bit more heavy than uh, your garage. Matter of fact, I'm pretty sure that's probably one of the places they say not to leave them. Right. Now, Antoinette, you... Uh, are probably enjoying this a lot as well. Um, but the fact of the matter is you, you seem to be an expert on classified materials as well. Now, at any point in Joe Biden's political career, either as senator, vice president, or citizen, Scranton Joe Biden, has he ever had the legal authority to declassify, let's just say, these documents that were either in the garage or, or, or at the Biden Center for Global CCP-ness? Nope, nada, none whatsoever. So it looks pretty bad. Yeah, there is a uh, big defining line there between stuff uh, that they did to Joe Biden, you know, how they handled this. They basically, they hit it. They found the original ones or were notified of them six days before the midterm elections. Uh, This is just like Hunter Biden laptop 2.0. You can only assume that places like the DOJ and the FBI were complicit in regards to everything like that. And the fact of the matter was the oversight of this was kicked down to a Trump appointed attorney. Uh, I believe he sits on the ninth circuit and, and, and he works out of Northern Illinois and he was the one that had reviewed the initial find and he was about to, well, he gave his information to Merrick Garland and said, I am finished. Now make your determination. And it's like, how long is he going to sit on it before he says, you know, Okay, I gave this stuff to Merrick Garland like a month ago or two months ago. Like, he's just sitting on it. And it's pretty weird because the only reason that the Trump-appointed attorney that, that sits in the Ninth Circuit up there in northern Illinois was allowed to stay on the job was because 
the Democrat governor and a senator said he had some open cases that he was still working on. You know, you know, you're allowed to switch out judges with the with the incoming administration when Joe Biden, let's just say, took over for Donald Trump. He tried to fire him, and they're like, "Oh no, no. let let him finish the, the cases that he's working on." And they were like, "Fine, he can finish the cases, and then we're firing him." But it just so happened that this kind of fell into his lap while he was working on the cases for the state of Illinois. So, yeah, it's it's pretty crazy. Uh, where we're at right now, but we're just getting started. You could only imagine how the White House press conference went down yesterday. KJP wasn't ready, as usual. The fact of the matter is is that they are going to try and spin this like there's no tomorrow. Uh, she got into it with Peter Ducey, as you can only imagine. You know, he hit up the president and then jumped right over to the White House press pool to hammer her. Let's hear it. How can President Biden be trusted moving forward with America's secrets? Because his lawyers, his team did the right thing. But he had a closet with he, classified his information lawyers in did it the that right, they found. How again, get there? again, again, again. He did. He was right surprised thing? that the records were there. Oh. He spoke to this so personally. He was surprised that the that the records were there, and when his lawyers found out and his team found out that they were there. Uh, they turned it over to their archives. And now it's being reviewed by the Department of Justice. So, you know, we, we find out that the Biden Center, the UPenn Biden Center in Washington, D.C., had this cabinet or closet locked with the documents in it. Then we come to find out that Joe Biden also had additional documents uh, locked away in, in a residence of his uh, in a garage that, that houses his Corvette. Do you think it was in a uh, locked container? Because, <laughs> uh, I mean, if I Google... What are the requirements for storing top secret documents? Okay. Storage of top secret materials approved in either of the following. One, General Service Administration GSA approved container with a GSA approved built-in three-position dial type combination lock. Locate this container in a DS approved alarmed area or in a building controlled by cleared U.S. citizen personnel on a 24-hour basis. Or maybe this is, uh, no, it's domestic. Okay, let me ask you this. (laughs) Does the Snap-on Racing Tools toolbox count as a lockbox? <laughs> well, my Snap-on has actually pretty nice locks on it, so, I mean, maybe? Hmm. It's not GSA approved. It'd have to have a sticker. The White House press conference would continue, and you can only imagine after Peter Ducey challenging her intelligence, she would only be even testier Oof. to other reporters that would try and get in the ring. Let's hear it. I want to be prudent here. Uh, I want to make sure that we do this in appropriate, the appropriate way. We're going to ask them because that's our job. I understand. And and my job is to answer your question. So here we go. Let's go. We ask this is because on like day two of this administration, when he swore all of you in, the president said, quote, I'm going to make mistakes when I make them. I'll acknowledge them and I'll tell you and I'll need your help to help me correct them. So you're the one here talking to us about this. That's why we're asking you. So let's just remember that. I, uh, when Ed, he was Ed, asked Ed, yesterday, Ed, I'm, we don't need we don't need to have this. We work very well together. Do. I don't. We don't need to have I this kind of conversation. Ask your question, and I will answer well, them the best the that reason, I can. Part of the reason we're laying that out is because you're laying out your part of the job. We're I know. Laying out our part of the job, I know, but I'm just saying question. that we don't we need to have contention. We don't need to be contentious with me here, Ed. The president was asked yesterday, but did not answer this part of the question. Why didn't he or someone in the White House inform the American people when these documents were discovered on November 2nd? Did it have anything to do, because people are asking this part of it, did it have anything to do with the fact that the election was just a few days away? 
yes. Again, Ed, this is under review by the Department of Justice. It is literally under review right now. As oh. we are, as as I as I am oh. talking to you, it is under review. Oh. So I'm not going to uh, get beyond the process. I'm not going to get beyond what the president said. Uh, listen, she ain't gonna make it through the year. Yeah, she's not. It was also released yesterday. I saw uh, Molly Hemingway got ahead of this narrative. She produced a receipt, uh, part of the bank documents in regards to Joe Biden's said residence in Delaware, where they found the second trove of documents. Aren't we up to three now? We are, yeah. and, we're, and we're getting to it. But so Hunter Biden's name's on the mortgage. <laughs> <laughs> so not only do we know what was there and whether it was secured, he could we have definitely having, know it wasn't under the lock and key of uh, approved personnel. He could have been having his crack party with with classified documents, like literally snorting cocaine off of hookers' ass cracks and wiping the sweat off of his brow with classified documents. That is a, that is a possible scenario now. It's amazing. It's very scary and. So the the clip the clip of uh, Biden uh, driving out of his garage with uh, was a Jay Leno's garage I think was the show. Get in, Jack. We're reading classified documents. So I haven't watched it yet. I have it up on the screen, but I don't want to cause any audio issues while we're doing the show. But I want to watch and see if he leaves the garage door open when he drives away. <laughs> what if it? What if it's just like a wide shot? You know how they always do like the trail car that's like following him, and like what if it's just like his house disappearing into the distance with the garage door open. <laughs> Spoiler alert, it wasn't closed. Missouri Senator, one of our favorites on the show, Josh Hawley was on Fox News uh, two nights ago, and he was talking about this. This was in between Document Find 1 and Document Find 2, and he was making a suggestion that's probably at the forefront of everybody's minds right now. Because that's exactly what Merrick Garland has done to, done to Donald Trump. And, Sean, as you were just saying a second ago, it can't be that we have two tiers of justice in this country. It can't be that there's one rule for Republicans yeah, and a different rule for Democrats. Mm. You know, Merrick Garland said, oh, we have to have a special prosecutor for Trump. Well, that means we've got to have one for Biden. It's the same thing. And arguably, it's worse for Biden because, as you say, he couldn't declassify. Whatever else we know is true, we know that he didn't have the power on his own as VP to declassify these documents. So, listen, the Democrats... Democrats say they're all for equity. Well, what's equitable here is that there be a special counsel. Yep. Yeah. Barack Obama's been silent, by the way, regarding this matter. Weird. So weird. And, uh, you know, it's it's kind of where we're at right now. So I just think that, you know, the spectacle they made of Donald Trump, it's so weird. Like, I'm, I'm trying to, like, build up a timeline here. So pedo Hitler speech... <laughs> At Independence Hall in in Pennsylvania, you know, basically saying that MAGA, the extreme conservative nationalist populist right, has put democracy on the ballot for all of eternity. And that will I believe it was on September 1st of last year, October 1st or 2nd. I'm hearing different dates from different outlets is when they found these documents. Obviously, you know, the midterms would be shortly thereafter. And then, you know, just about. 90 days prior to the midterm election is when Mar-a-Lago was raided. And it was like, I mean, we know it was like a dunk fest, you know, the whole optics of it and all of this stuff. And then Jack Smith gets appointed and we see all of his extremely biased ties to the radical left and the Russiagate investigation and all this other bullshit that, you know, they're trying to delegitimize uh, Donald Trump in every way, shape or form. 
And, um, you know, it, it, it kind of just has, has gotten us to this point. Now they have set such a bad precedent for how current and former government officials are treated. The fact of the matter is that Donald Trump has this declassification authority that Joe Biden doesn't. And now they're in kind of like, honestly, two separate boats. They're not in the same boat. So, But the fact of the matter is, is that Joe Biden is, it seems that, you know, the deep state, the administrative state, the Washington, D.C. apparatus mm. might just be done with them. Uh, Speaker of the House Kevin McCarthy held his first press conference yesterday. We're going to hear a couple tidbits from it throughout the course of the show. This, this one was especially talking about the raid on Mar-a-Lago and, and Joe Biden's development. So let's hear it. No, because from one standpoint, they knew the documents were there. They actually asked President Trump to put another lock on, so they were locked. You look at President um, Biden. He wasn't president. He was vice president. He held these in different locations right out in the open. He criticized President Trump. Did he utilize the Justice Department to raid President Trump? Did you think that was right? They knew this has happened to President Biden before the election, but they kept it a secret from the American public. Yep. He goes on 60 Minutes, criticizes President Trump, even knowing what he has done, and he wasn't president at the time. Now we find another location that it's at, but he refused to answer. His press secretary won't answer the questions. We, you watched them leak photos of sitting out files of President Trump. Where's the photos of President Biden's documents? Where are those photos at? He knowingly knew this happened going into election, going into interviews. This is what makes America not trust their government. You cannot have one form of law because somebody philosophically has a different opinion than you, and you can't use the Justice Department to go after people that are politically different as well. It has to be equal across. And what I'm finding what's happening with President Biden time and again, you go from a laptop saying it not only that it wasn't true, but utilizing your own friends to go into companies to tell them to say the same thing, yep. to try to knock down information, to try to make sure the New York Post story couldn't be printed. You should be offended by that. You are of the press. You should be allowed to write even when you knew it was true. So, yes. You know, we're not going to be McCarthy and Joyers on this show. We, we know what we're getting. We know all of his friends. We know the ties to the corporate everything. We know he's a staunch proponent of big tech and, and this, that, and the other thing. But I'm listen, I watched the entirety of it. I had to switch channels because CNN cut off a portion of it when he started to talk about uh, Swalwell, which we'll get into in, our, oh, in yeah. our other news segment. They cut away quickly with that one. Yeah, I had to flip over to another channel. But the fact of the matter is, B-plus first press conference. On agenda items that he hit, he's talking about opening pieces of legislation, and, uh, you know, here he was talking about this. This is basically, I think, let's see, Ducey tabbed it garage gate yesterday. Mm. And this is like the Hunter Biden laptop 2.0, except this time it's it's even more serious due to the nature of the, um, you know, documents that are involved. So we, we've kind of laid it out for you. Everybody knows where we're at currently, but we got to unpack it just a little bit more you can only imagine what happened yesterday afternoon when Merrick Garland took the stage. Let's hear the U.S. Attorney General. Good afternoon. I'm here today to announce the appointment of Robert Herr as a special counsel yeah. pursuant to Department of Justice regulations governing such matters. In keeping with those regulations, I have today notified the designated members of each House of Congress of the appointment. I'm joined today by John Lausch, the U.S. Attorney for the Northern District of Illinois, who conducted the initial investigation into the matter 
that I will describe today. On the evening of November 4, 2022, the National Archives Office of Inspector General contacted a prosecutor at the Department of Justice. It informed him that the White House had notified the archives that documents bearing classification markings were identified at the office of the Penn Biden Center for Diplomacy and Global Engagement, <laughs> located in Washington, D.C. <laughs> that office was not authorized for storage of classified documents. No shit. The prosecutor was also advised that those documents had been secured in an archives facility. On November 9th, the FBI commenced an assessment consistent with standard protocols oh, yeah, right. to understand whether classified information had been mishandled in violation of federal law. On November 14th, pursuant to Section 600.2B of the Special Counsel Regulations, I assigned U.S. Attorney Lausch to conduct an initial investigation to inform my decision whether to appoint a special counsel. Mr. Lausch has served as the U.S. Attorney in Chicago since 2017. Before that, he spent more than a decade as an assistant U.S. Attorney in that same office. I selected him to conduct the initial investigation because I was confident his experience would ensure that it would be done professionally and expeditiously. On December 20th, President Biden's personal counsel informed Mr. Lausch that additional documents bearing classification markings were identified in the garage of the president's <laughs> private residence in Wilmington, Delaware. Oh. President Biden's counsel informed Mr. Lausch that those documents were among other records from the period of the president's service as vice president. The FBI went to the location. Okay, that's enough out of this guy. Mm. Man, do you think him and Mayorkas went to the school of talking? Yeah. Like the the college of talking, they received their PhD in talking. Of, mm, yeah, yeah oh. actually the classified markings and the... Biggest takeaway from there, something you all need to understand that's listening to this podcast right now. It is extremely important information. He threw a heap and helping of louse at you. Wants to talk about his resume, his career, this, that, and the other thing. Only important takeaway from this is the appointment of Robert Hur as the head of this special counsel that's going to investigate these documents. Never heard of her. You're about to hear of her <laughs> shim again. <laughs> Robert Hur was instrumental. As a protege of former disgraced, fired FBI director Rod Rosenstein and was even more instrumental in bogging down and prolonging the Russiagate investigation while working under Robert Mueller. Weird. Robert Hur initiated through lies and intimidation, warrants and subpoenas to spy on the team led by Cash Patel and Devin Nunes to spy on them, to stay ahead of the narrative that they were breaking while they were deconstructing the Russiagate investigation for the entirety of it. Mm. Russiagate investigation, everything that Robert Mueller didn't find, probably lasted another eight months to a year in length because of Robert Hur, who's now leading the special investigation into what Joe Biden did regarding these classified documents. You need to understand, there is a lot of noise out there. You have to go and find the hit points within that. And and Robert Herr being appointed as the special counsel, it's just politics as usual in D.C., and it's a two-way street right now. Are they going to let Biden off the hook? Or is the deep state populism and the rise of it that we're seeing right now really ready to take on and take out Joe Biden? Antoinette, what do you think? 
I think they're ready to take him out. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know how you can really just, just look at it another way. Yeah. It just it's too obvious. It's way too obvious. For me, in my opinion. I don't know what it, you know, that's just me. But I mean, do you guys really see him going and running in twenty twenty four? I don't. And they know that it's not a very good look for them. They need him out. Yeah, the with the resources that they have, they could have easily have covered up at least one of these. Yeah, for sure. Now we're at like thrice. the garage one, probably. <laughs> like that that one's the worst. Like the garage one, like really, you're gonna let that one out? Like, hey, well, we found some, uh, we found some more documents in the garage. Uh, <laughs> let's just uh, throw them in the trunk and we'll take them back it's to the White House. And, you know, so they're ma- they're making sure that it gets like it's solid. It's you know, hon- against him. It's Hong yeah, it's Kong. Th- it's three strikes. It's Hong yeah. Kong for the Corvette and Hong Kong for the clown world. Yeah. <laughs> it literally is. And, and it's crazy. We're going to continue on this narrative. Basically, throughout the show, we got some great guests coming in right now. I mean, obviously, they're uh, going to be following this and tracking it for, for weeks as the special counsel gets kicked off. But just remember the biggest point right there. The Robert Hur appointment basically confirms that the administrative state is alive and well and all roads lead back to the Russiagate investigation when it comes to everyone that is connected to this administration, which is essentially the Obama administration 2.0. And moving forward, we're going to try to bring you not as much of the garbage. And, you know, everybody wants to have the dunk fest post of Joe Biden getting a special counsel appointed to him yesterday, but what the reality of it is moving forward. You know how you've gotten that chewy, hard, disappointing jerky from the gas station? Oh. you got to try some of this jerky we just got from Farmer Bill's. It's soft and tender because it's cured and air-dried instead of dehydrated, like that other junk. Ingredient-conscious, there's no sugar, no soy, or other additives, just beef, salt, and spices. Working on those gains, it's protein on the go with a very respectable 32 grams of protein per 2 ounces. That's twice the amount of that other jerky. So if you like to support small business and you like your food source in the USA, order some Farmer Bills with the code STEAK for an extra 5 bucks off. You buy a 12-pack, you even get free shipping. The only thing better than this tender jerky is supporting an American-made company that shares your values. Get yourself some Farmer Bills traditionally air-dried beef jerky today. All right, joining us first on the show today, making his steak for breakfast debut, he's a lawyer. No one questions his patriotism and a civil rights activist. D.C. Drano, thanks for coming on with us. Thank you for having me, gentlemen. Heard a lot of great things about the pod. And obviously we've been following and appreciating all the hard work you've been doing for years. Rogan, welcome to the show. And and how's everything going on your end? It's a pretty busy and crazy time, not just for conservative politics, but everything across the board and the world. Uh, And you're usually at the forefront of it in regards to uh, being ahead of the narrative. How are you doing? Well, some pigs just like to wrestle in the mud a little bit, so... Uh, I I think a lot of people know what's going on and they just don't necessarily speak up. So I have uh, been emboldened with this transition of power. I mean, we haven't had control of the house for four years. So we're in uncharted territory here for a lot of, you know, MAGA supporters. They've never had the house. They've never had the subpoenas go in the other direction and holding uh, the corrupt FBI and DOJ accountable. So I just got my Twitter back a few weeks ago. I've been ripping it up on there. I've got a lawsuit against Twitter in the state of California, waiting to get our decision from the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals any day now because I was censored uh, because the government was emailing Twitter. So uh, a lot lot of good things cooking. We're going to have a good year, boys. 
Yeah, we didn't get any of our other 11 Steak for Breakfast accounts back yet, but our 12th one is pretty wide open right now. We are getting – it's weird seeing interactions on Twitter for the first time in a little over four years that we've been doing this here. And then I do want to stick in, in what you kind of led off with there, the anticipation of the new Congress. Now, Kevin McCarthy held his first, I guess you could call it, press conference yesterday after some meetings, and he dropped a couple, you know, hammers in regards to – Maybe it, he really is going to adhere to the Kevin McCarthy he assured a lot of the MAGA wing of the party and the House Freedom Caucus members throughout the course of their negotiations, uh, talking about releasing everything in regards to January 6th. Uh, stood up for the double standard in regards to the negative narrative against New York Congressman George Santos, and then talked about you know the whole Swalwell, Omar, uh, and and that stuff in regards to the Joe Biden documents and, and what's going on with that, which we'll talk about in a, in a sec. But staying with this new Congress, how optimistic are you right now that they're going to get in there and start doing the actual work that we need done to get this country back on the right track? There were few people last week during his speaker voting that were more vocally opposed vehemently so against i call him kievan ukarthy uh and i constantly was posting his ukraine flag pin photo everywhere i could not stand that he was going to be the speaker of the house and i must say credit where credit's due his first few days in the role have been uh, everything we wanted. And I attribute a lot of that to the Patriot 20 that stood strong and set the guidelines for how this next two years would go. You know, I used to work in Hollywood and uh, a well fought over contract saves you a lot of headaches with people you don't trust down the road. So hammer it out early and then you know, coast under those guidelines down the road. So I, I, I do give Kevin McCarthy some credit. I still, you know, have, have side eye watching for his, uh, you know, rhino missteps, but thus far, uh, he, he, he gets high marks for everything he's done his first few days. And how important do you think that for the first time ever, um, and because we all know how much the Rhino establishment, the, the K Street Mafia, want to crush what started out as the Tea Party movement, kind of evolved into MAGA, and is now kind of going through another rebirthing process as we're getting ready to enter the 2024 general election campaign season. Uh, that wing of the party, you're going to have people like Byron Donalds and, and, and others, or Chip Roy, on, on places like steering and rules, things that House Freedom Caucus members usually and historically wouldn't be on, and now they have votes into what actually is going to get sent to the floor to get voted on as far as legislation. Yeah, it, it's, I love Byron Donalds. I love, you know, the freedom caucus, especially the Patriot 20. Um, like I said, it's just been very good to see Kevin not punish his holdouts and actually pretty much reward them with whatever they were going to get anyway. And, and to be, to be honest, the freedom caucus actually got a better deal they, they punched above their weight class. There's yeah. only about 45 Freedom Caucus members, which is about 20% of the Republican conference in D.C., and they got 33% of the Rules Committee seats, which dictates the entire agenda for what gets on the floor. And those three seats, Kevin was only offering two, Freedom Caucus got three. Three is a veto power. When you combine that with the four Democrats, that's seven out of 13 votes, and that completely dictates the House agenda. So uh, like Kevin said, he realized he was either going to have the fights in the Rules Committee or on the House floor, and he might as well have just had him in the Rules Committee. So uh, there's going to be a lot more going on behind the scenes. But again, I am cautiously optimistic with how good things have 
uh, started. No, so are we, and we're going to keep tracking it. Like you said, we're waiting for, man, we've ran with Raheem Kassam's McLeadership for over a year on the show, but I, I'm not going to lie. I mean, completely honest, the Kievan Hugh Carthy got an actual <laughs> laugh out of me for the first time in a long time. I absolutely loved it. <laughs> M- moving along, Rogan, we saw over the last week or so uh, everything come out regarding this Joe Biden document disaster for him. It looks like the deep state is trying to get ahead of Joe Biden announcing his 2024 candidacy officially. Uh, We saw everybody over the holiday season, like the Gavin Newsom's, the Amy Koblishar's, Kamal Harris, try to, you know, fall in line and be like, oh, yeah, we're totally 100% all in for another Joe Biden presidency and term. And now we have this stuff comes out and it at, at first it looked bad and now it just looks horrible. Uh, you know, and, and but then we saw a special counsel appointed yesterday and the person who's going to be heading that special counsel, Robert Herr, uh, who, who we're going to be talking about on the show in extent today is someone that was a really big component to the Russiagate investigation and actually had a lot to do with the spying that went on against former Congressman uh, Devin Nunes and former DOD chief of staff Cash Patel. They they used the the DOJ and the FBI weaponized, of course, at the time to remain ahead of them in the narrative uh, by spying on them essentially and, and getting warrants to intimidate their lawyers while they were being investigated themselves. So as bad as it looks for Biden and and what the potential where this has to go, what do you think the overall plan here is? Right. So there's plenty of people talking about the obvious, right? They found the documents. It's illegal, special counsel, whatever. I'm constantly looking behind the scenes. What's the play here? What's really going on? Uh, And I think it's one of two things. The first is I think it's Joe Biden has used up his usefulness. And we all know Obama, Valerie Jarrett, Susan Rice. They're the ones actually pulling the puppet strings. I guarantee the latter two are meeting with Biden's team in Delaware all the time where there's no visitor logs at his house. He's there for record amount of days. Um, So I I think they're coordinating the strings. I think they're trying to push Biden out. And I think that they're trying to take Trump down with it. I think it's a, well, Biden stepped aside because this is such a big criminal deal that he had classified documents. Trump should surely step aside, too. Now, the glaring difference between those two scenarios is that Trump was president and he can declassify anything. And there's actually a presumption of declassification if he, as president, takes documents out of a secure environment. So everything he has is completely scot-free. So that brings up my second theory is that David Weiss, who's the U.S. attorney from Delaware, has been investigating Hunter Biden. I think he came across these documents, uh, unsecured classified documents in his investigation because Hunter Biden, many don't know this, had actually that address listed on one of his licenses. He used it for background checks. He had unfettered access to those top secret documents. David Weiss comes across this. He notifies DOJ and then they work backwards to implicate Trump on this. They say, oh, crap, this is going to really hurt Joe Biden. Why don't we take down Trump first, do a big public FBI raid? And then after the midterm elections, we say, oh, yeah, Biden also did this, too. So it, it lessens the impact of it. So I think one of those two theories or a combination of both is going on. Yeah, it looks like at some point we are going to get to a head. And, and as the special counsel, uh, you know, begins their investigation and starts to make stuff public, I guess we're going to find out which way it goes. Do you think, 
Either way, this might spell the end for for the experiment that the Democrats have used, uh, named Joe Biden. I think so. Uh, you know, just physiologically speaking, obviously he's got you know some type of somewhat sustainable dementia. I mean, I'm surprised he's even lasted this long. I don't necessarily think Kamala is their go-to. I think this is a play for Gavin Newsom or Jared Polis in Colorado. Yeah. Um, so, but I also think they want to try and use it to stop Trump. I don't think it'll work, but I do think it will work in stopping Joe Biden. Yeah, I think so too. And, and, and the last big thing I want to touch with you on something we're all very excited here, you know, obviously on our show and in all the stuff you do, uh, is for Donald Trump to get his 2024 campaign kicked off. We did see over the course of the holiday season when there were a lot of people accusing him of inactivity or not being at the forefront of things, taking completely out of context the fact that. Because we have so many Trump adjacents on the show, we have his lawyers, we have people that are working for him right now on, an, on a consistent basis. Liz Harrington is also a uh, frequent guest. She's actually on the show today as well. But the fact of the matter is he's spending family time down at Mar-a-Lago for the first time in a long time when he's not president. But we did see him put out some of those great policy-driven videos, which uh, are, are hitting some of the biggest things that are affecting this country negatively right now and how Trump-era policies was a more than plausible solution while he served his first term in office. What do you expect to see from Donald Trump over the next couple of months that's going to get him back out there and get everybody re-energized heading into the next uh, election cycle? Underestimate Trump at your own peril. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, he, he his silence on major social media should not be taken for weakness. You know, he can pretty much at any time jump on that Twitter, but, uh, this is a marathon, not a sprint. I think you bring up a really great point that he's, he's going to be very well rested. Uh, he, he's got his machinery. He's got, you know, at least a hundred million dollars ready to go. He's got his, uh, you know, a national machine of, of fundraisers, of consultants, of advisors, of election people. So, uh, you know, I, I'm a huge supporter of Ron DeSantis. He's got a lot of hype, but that just is not comparable to the machine that Trump has. And once he starts doing these rallies again, people are going to be reminded of who's actually in charge of the Republican Party. And trust me, they would not be going after Trump with everything they got with the DOJ if they weren't concerned that he's their number one person. So I think as MAGA supporters, we win either way. Whether DeSantis runs or not, we win either way because we're going to get Trump or DeSantis. I'm still a Trump 2024 guy, uh, but the left is absolutely very nervous, which is why I think they're trying to take out Biden and get someone stronger that can actually campaign outside their basement. Mm -hmm. Now, that's one of the things I want to stick in with you real quick while we have you. The underestimating Donald Trump. Do you think that some pundits, even in like the conservative orbits, try to call Donald Trump on that to get a reaction out of him? Or do you think they do it more for personal gain? And then if you would elaborate a little bit on people need to understand for as much as Donald Trump is they've attempted to delegitimize him over the course of the last seven years as the leader of the Republican Party and pr pretty much once-in-a-lifetime political icon. Uh, the fact of the matter is is that all of these different entities wouldn't be trying to stop him in every way, shape, or form, print, press, legacy media, mm -hmm. every single cable news show. Then you have all of the federal agencies that are working against him, district attorneys at the state levels in multiple states. If they didn't respect him enough to know that he's the number one threat to stopping them from retaining power. Yeah, and it's more than retaining power. It's going in there with a battle axe and destroying the deep state, firing 50,000 people within the first few months. That's what they're most afraid of. Our greatest enemy, in addition to the World Economic Forum, is the deep state that works as their 
little puppet. So, uh, you know, people got to remember in 2015, Trump was, you know, considered a joke by the media. He, yeah. There were 17 other primary opponents. He had less than 5% in the polls and he destroyed them single-handedly. Now he has such high expectations because he was such a successful president, because he was so popular that people think, oh, well, he dipped 4% in this poll. He's weak. There's a, it, he's not even, he hasn't even started, right? He, he's, it all comes down to the last couple weeks before each primary vote anyway, which is still about 14 months away from Iowa. So, uh, we, we still have plenty, plenty of time. So in the meantime, I'm less focused on that race and a lot more focused on these house investigations and getting to the bottom of January 6th and what happened with COVID and especially these vaccines. Yeah, those, these are all things that we're extremely excited, uh, looking to at least get the light shed on in a more open manner to the public and uh, especially all the stuff regarding COVID. We, we tried to cover it as little as possible because I feel like once the real investigations start, we're going to be able to have even more of a clearer picture than, uh, you know, the one we've been spoon fed over the course of the last couple of years. I mean, obviously we see the results and all of the bad things going on regarding, you know, everything that how the lockdowns affected children and businesses and just the workplace. Now it's like, Oh my God, I can't believe I have to go in person to my job for the first time in two years. Like, how dare you? all the way up to, you know, all the bad stuff with the vaccines, which uh, everything from the military to just the general public has, has affected it extremely negatively. And then, you know, touching on your point from Donald Trump, I, I think the, the one of the funniest things is, is is a lot of these poll numbers that come out and, you know, they say Donald Trump has lost this many points in a head-to-head matchup or against a field of people who haven't even thrown their names in the ring yet because they know once they really do get in there, then Donald Trump could put the target on you officially. And, and that's when you see those poll numbers for him usually start going up. Yeah, it's it's a that's brutal. I I would never want to run, be the first person to jump in the Shark Tank with Trump because he'll just rip you to shreds. Uh, and and yeah, I, I don't know. I I I don't see anyone going in there unless they just want to juice their book sales. Um, you know, one thing I am really excited about. Uh, Kevin McCarthy mentioned it, I think yesterday, how he's planning to release fourteen thousand hours of footage from from J six. And it's something that he said Pelosi resisted doing. Now riddle me this, uh, why would Pelosi resist revealing more quote, incriminating evidence against Trump and his supporters? Uh, if she could do so, I think we're going to learn a lot more truth about what happened. That's kind of been one of my, uh, big goals with, with disclosing because the House GOP put out this report showing that Pelosi staffers were secretly lowering security behind the scenes, behind the backs of the House sergeant at arms. Uh, they got the text messages. Just imagine what they are going to find with the subpoena. So I think that's one of the more exciting things I'm looking to spread the truth about. But, um, you know, it all, it all, it all helps Trump in the end and, and, and the MAGA people. This is a long battle to save this country. Uh, we're getting there, but it's going to take a lot of work. Yeah, and like Donald Trump always reminds us, this this battle is just mm-hmm. getting started. So, mm-hmm. Rogan, this has been awesome having you on the show today for the first time. I can only assume it won't be the last. For anyone that's not following you on social media, is where can we live link you in the show description today? DC Drano on on everything. DC underscore Drano. Just in case you didn't know. So this is one of our new friends, one of the biggest. Hey, listen, I'll tell you guys this. Don't mess with him on Twitter because the clapbacks, you you can can hear him resonate from the phone. This is DC Drano. Thanks for joining us on the show today. God bless, gentlemen.
All right, joining us next on the show, he's a research fellow specializing in regional economics at the Center for Data Analysis at the Heritage Foundation. Highly recommended by one of uh, Steak for Breakfast VIPs, Jake Denton. We're joined today by EJ Antoni. Thanks for joining us on the show. Gentlemen, thank you for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure. How's everything going with you? Uh, you must be very bored. It doesn't seem like anything that has to do with the economy and, and all things connected is uh, really making any news lately. Oh, no, guys, don't worry about it. Everything's fine. Uh, I listened to the president's press conference yesterday about inflation. There is nothing to worry about. Of Everything's course. good. <laughs> oh, if that were only the case, I, I, I inadvertently looked at my retirement yesterday. Stop doing that. Close to negative 200K in the last two, two years. Very sad. Very sad. You know, it's, it's, funny, it's funny you say that. I actually did a study uh, in the third quarter of last year, and I found that if you look at the average retirement account, it's lost a quarter of its value. That's over $30,000 yeah. for the average person. I haven't looked at mine yet. I'm not going to. Yeah, don't. Just don't. There's a lot of red. I can tell you that much. Well, EJ, we're glad to have you. We, we, we talk about the economy often on the show, but we wanted to bring in someone who's a little bit more of an expert. And, and here you are. One of the big things that uh, I always hear about in the press, which we know is definitely the opposite of what the reality of it is, most recently, the new jobs numbers came out reflecting with unemployment and, uh, you know, these numbers reports that come out in regards to jobs just don't reflect what the actuality of the workforce in the United States is right now. When you see these numbers come out that say jobs are up at all time highs and, and historically this administration has made and created more jobs than any other in the history of the galaxy, what do you really see when you look in between the numbers? Well, I mean, the whole idea that that this this administration somehow has created jobs, I mean, getting jobs back that were lost when the government forcibly shut down businesses, I, I would hardly call that job creation, number one. But number two, even, even if we want to use that kind of flawed metric, fine. Then President Trump added something like 50% more jobs in half the time compared to Joe Biden. So by no means is this some kind of uh, uh, record-setting job creation by this president. But more importantly, I think the reason why so many people are looking at these headlines and are so confused and are saying, who on earth are they talking about? Because I know it's not me. Who is it that has all these jobs, is making all this money, et cetera? What's happening is that we are getting phenomenons like double counting, where people are going out and having to get a second or even a third job to deal with the higher cost of living. And that is helping to goose those employment numbers. On top of that, when you're somebody who has an unincorporated small business, let's say, and you've had to shut down, you've had to close your business because you just you don't have the profit margins like a big corporation and you can't keep up with uh, rising costs. What happens? These, those people are losing their businesses, they're, they're closing up shop, and they're going to work for a big corporation. In other words, they're going from being not counted in the statistics mm -hmm. to being counted. So you're not actually increasing the number of people employed. The economy is not doing better. People aren't better off, but the numbers keep going up. That, that's just one example. Now, it's a really good point you make because the next thing I wanted to ask you about is how did these lack of jobs numbers in reality have a direct effect on the economy. And I'm talking about everything from the cost of living and how much it's gone up over the course of the last two plus years now. And, and how does that connect to like things with the ongoing supply chain issues and things like that? Sure. You know, we've had a, a lot of disruptions in the labor market. Obviously, when you tell people they're literally not allowed to work, you know, that's going to cause some disruptions right there. Uh, but on top of that, one of the really, really bad decisions from this administration 
has been to expand welfare and not just expand who is eligible for it, but expand benefits as well. And what, what that is doing is it is creating situations where plenty of people can stay on the dole for an incredibly long period of time. In fact, you run, you run into uh, uh, several different instances. I, I can think of three just off the top of my head, New Jersey, Massachusetts, and Washington State. And in those places, you can actually get more on just unemployment and Obamacare subsidies than many blue collar professions. In fact, you can even get more than the median income and that's including benefits. Hmm. Yeah, it, it, it all makes for a case that the numbers that we're getting fed on a regular basis aren't the ones that are, uh, you know, number one, accurate. Number two, uh, are negatively affecting the way that we all live our lives right now. Uh, I heard today the White House press secretary was talking about Joe Biden's presser yesterday and the economy in general. I'm going to play a short clip for us right now. Let's check it out. The president's economic plan is working, even though inflation is high in most major economies, it's coming down in America and giving families more breathing room. You hear the president say that all the time, how he wants to make sure that he's giving American families a little bit more of a breathing room. EJ, you, you just laid out for us how the, the one thing that we actually have right now is any breathing room due to the decline in the workforce and how that's negatively affected the economy. Now, when you have the person who's supposed to be representing the narrative of the president of the United States going out and saying this just about 30 minutes ago, how does that make you feel as an economist who is supposed to be trying to accurately forecast things for people who want to be able to live a better life? Well, it, it's frustrating because people, unfortunately, when they're fed that kind of garbage, and I, I don't say that lightly, but when people are fed that kind of garbage, it makes it very, very difficult to then turn around and have to undo that damage in people's minds and explain to them, no, that, that narrative is incorrect. And here are the facts, here are the data that support reality. And you know, just one example of that is that prices declined one-tenth of 1% 1 on average in the month of December. Okay, great. We've had a single month of price decreases under the Biden administration. I mean, you had just a single month, I think it was June of last year, where prices rose 1.3%. So literally all December did was offset the price increases that we had from November, which means there's still 22 months of price increases before that under Biden that have yet to be accounted for in terms of giving people breathing room, to use uh, Coringe's words. So by, by no means is this administration giving breathing room for people, unless you want to say that breathing room is underwater. No, and, that, and that's the, the fact of the matter is right there, which is why I want to ask, what, what what are you thinking looking down the pike here? Let's just say at least, the very least, the last two years of the Biden administration and, and these policies that we're uh, living under right now in regards to prosperity and long-term wealth. We were talking offline before we jumped into the interview here about uh, you know our 401ks and retirements, but what can the average person expect and what are some of the remedies that they do to maybe slow uh, how much it's being depleted by over the course of the next couple of years? Oh, those are great questions. Uh, I mean, in terms of what we can expect for, for this year, uh, business activity is slowing down, hiring is slowing down, and eventually that turns to zero. And then as it, the deceleration continues, it starts to go in the other direction. And we start to move from hiring to layoffs, for example. Uh, we'll start to see corporate profits go down. And that means fewer people employed. Uh, it means fewer raises for people. Now, it does look like the Federal Reserve is at least beginning to get its act together. So hopefully that means that on the inflation front, things will stop. But just because the inflation stops does not mean prices go back down, right? This is very much a ratchet effect. Things only move in one way. They may stop moving, but they're not going to move uh, in any appreciable 
um, difference in, in the other direction. And so unfortunately, it's going to take some time before wages catch up to inflation and we can get people back to the standard of living they had in January of 2021. And in terms of what the average person can do, you know, that's very, very difficult because the average person doesn't control the money supply like the Federal Reserve does. The average person can't directly control the federal budget like Congress and the president can. But that's one of the reasons why it's so important that we exert some political pressure on our elected representatives and get them to stop the spending, because that is at the root cause of the whole economic malaise we are facing We are facing right now. Yeah, it certainly is. And uh, it doesn't seem like, you know, things are going to get better anytime soon. So you better just continue, you know, listening to the show today, be able to hunker down. And uh, like Noah often suggests, if you have a 401k retirement plan that <laughs> you contribute to on a biweekly or monthly basis, just don't look at it right now. It's just not a good time. EJ, last thing I wanted to touch with you on, and, and I think it's the big burning question, you you have people on, on one side of the aisle or preference who say we're already here, and then you have other people who adamantly deny that we're even anywhere close. Is, is the United States right now in a recession? And if we aren't, how close are we to really being in one? That's a great question. Whether or not we're in one right now, uh, you know, it, it's difficult to tell because we had two quarters of negative growth to start last year. So that was, that was a recession. I, I frankly don't care how anyone wants to uh, spin that politically. It was a recession, that's just the fact, okay? Uh, but in the second half of last year, it looks like the economy grew. And so my concern is not so much, uh, oh, did we have a recession? My concern now is, are we gonna have a double dip? And I think the answer there is yes. Uh, it, it looks very much like that short period of growth is gonna be bracketed on either side by economic downturns. So what you're saying is, just to be clear, that uh, a recession isn't something that, you know, comes in an instance of, you know, big economic decline and all the other factors that contribute into initiating one and then just ends. We could actually do one where it's like if you're driving a car and you're hitting speed bumps and the speed bump could be like we're in a recessionary period now and uh, if we could pull out of it and, and then, you know, if, if – based off of policy-driven uh, forces within this administration, enter back into one based off of a multitude of factors that are affecting the economy at that time? Sure. I mean, it, it, just look at the Great Depression, for example. You technically had, in the middle of the Great Depression, about six or seven years of pretty steady growth. Now, it was anemic growth, right? It didn't really keep up with, with population growth. So that's why we call the entire period the Great Depression. But just because you have these short uh, spurts of technical economic growth does not mean that things have improved substantially. And that's one of the reasons why it's so difficult to say when you're in the moment, whether or not this in fact is a recession and why we look at it with hindsight. Yeah, it's a, uh... Well, we got a lot of great information. I just wish we could uh, put a nicer bow on it. But the fact of the matter is this is critical information information that our listenership and just about everybody needs because, you know, you turn on the nightly news, whether it's local or you're more into the legacy media and check out the cable news outlets or you're listening to some podcast, depending on where you're getting your information from, if you're not getting the accurate data, well, you're going to find out that in between paychecks, you're going to be running out of money a lot quicker because the cost of things just right now aren't going down and the forecast for it looks a, a little bit glum. So, EJ, we're going to live link your uh, bio page from the Heritage Foundation today. Is there any place else that we could find you or read you that we want to direct our listenership to? Sure. You can find me at Twitter. That was my New Year's resolution. I've joined the cesspool officially. So you can find me at Real EJ Antoni. I love it. And uh, we'll be looking to have you back a little bit later in the month and uh, pick up where we left off today. 
this guy does a lot of stuff regarding the economy, and he's going to be joining us on Steak for Breakfast a little bit more down at the Heritage Foundation. EJ Antoni, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. Friends, I want to talk to you about some cigars. Our good friend Alan, who often co-hosts on the show, has launched the Patriot Cigar Company. The leaves for these cigars are hand-picked in the fields of Nicaragua, right next to where Mike Lindell picks his coffee beans. They are aged three years. The cigars are hand-rolled. When you're on a promo code stake, you're going to receive 15% off your purchase, and you order over 100 bucks free shipping, and every order comes with a $10 e-gift card. My Patriot Cigars, a premium smoke for freedom-loving patriots. How would you assess where we are and how the 118th Congress kicked off? Yeah, it's an enormous success, and I want to thank you for all the work that you put into it. The 20 really became heroes in the minds of the American people as a result of what you were able to gain. And you know that I don't like to characterize things any way that is other than the truth. And so when I say that this is a historic transformational agreement in how the House of Representatives operates, I mean it. That I don't think you've seen something like this since 60 years ago when Sam Rayburn took power and put it into the speakership away from the Rules Committee that really used to be an, an independent committee like any, any, any other committee. And so for you all to almost establish coalition government to make sure the American people are represented by the 20, away from the special interest, away from the cartel, you dealt a body blow to it. It still exists in the Senate, it still exists in the administrative state, but in the House of Representatives, the American people now have a fighting chance, particularly in the Rules Committee. And, and, you know, kicking off this new Congress, the 118th, the fighting 118th, you know, giving credit to the 20, which eventually got down to six presents, but eh. we'll take it. Um, it seems like they're, they're off on a pretty good foot and, uh, you know, we need to take into consideration, look for legislation that is going to be meaningful, that has a chance of survival, um, don't look for defunding the 87,000 IRS agents. Amazing virtue single. Definitely something we should be doing because it's just ridiculous that we're even considering that with the state of the workforce along, let's just say, the U.S. southern border for entrance. I just don't know how anybody's on board for that. Like anybody. Senate will kill that in a heartbeat because it doesn't affect them. And if you went and looked at how many uh, current Democrat U.S. senators owe back taxes – You'd probably lose your mind. <laughs> but, you know, Congressman Matt Gates led a delegation of people who uh, held the line for the first time in a while. Not since the 2016-ish cycle have I seen something that actually, you know, made a difference uh, the way they did. Uh, one of those people whose star shined bright throughout the course of that Speakership fight, and as Congress gets kicked off now, was Florida Representative Byron Donalds. I don't know why some of these guys did it. I saw a lot of Congress people jump right on with CNN last week when uh, the Congress was finally sworn in and they were going through the rules vote and then assigning committee seats. He decided to jump on with one of our favorite resident racists, not Nicole Wallace. Close. Mm. She's on after. Joy Reid. Gross. Yeah, and she was one of the people that were, were kind of out virtue signaling that, that this guy is just, uh, well, essentially a token that the Republican Party uses because of the color of his skin when that's couldn't be anything further from the point. He's a uh, very strong member in the House Freedom Caucus and has quickly become a louder voice within the party. Everybody has heard about their infamous now exchange on her show in regards to her questioning his abilities as a man. And, 
you know, someone who who represents the people in his district in Florida. Let's hear their back and forth and uh, watch this one go off the rails pretty quick. My friend Jody Arrington, who's going to chair a budget, he wants to look into the budget and also look into entitlements. Do you know that Social Security is going to be insolvent in 2035? It is not going to be. That yes, is not true. Will. That, that is, is actually not true. No, it's say. actually not now, Joy, true. It's actually I'm a not true. Professional. It's actually I do more not than just it, but it's actually not true. In the financial community. I am That's actually not true. That's Social actually Security not true. will go insolvent. That's actually not true. Those are the facts. That's not true. Should we not prepare that is not for true. that? What the Republican Party and what the Tea Party have proposed is privatizing Social Security, which would actually subject Social Security to the whims of the market, which I don't think that people, you that's not what the they paid into. No, the, if no, you look at the returns not, of the S&P 500 since 2006, the returns of the S&P 500 since 2006, You're that saying, includes so you, 2008. You, okay, oh, so you support privatizing I, I, Social Security. No, I want to explain to you. I am a financial professional. I'm securities license. Actually, I just lost my licenses because I'm not allowed to trade anymore because I'm a member of Congress. Mm -hmm. But let me assure you, if you look at the S&P 500 from 2006 until today, the growth rate in the S&P 500 would have more than taken care of Social Security, way more than the federal government And has. each time that way you had more. a crash, it would subject people's no, Social Security true. funds I'm, to a crash. Hold on a second. So let me just, in, hold on a second. We're not going to have a whole long thing on Social Security. But let me just be clear. She doesn't know anything about it. privatizing Social Security. No, I'm not in favor but you of just argued it. for it. I okay. said you, you, you brought just it up and it. I brought you the facts but on, you on argue, S&P 500. So if a bill came occurred. forward to privatize Social Security, you'd be for it? No, because what we should be doing... Okay. Then it's a moot point. Should, then it's a moot point. It's not a moot point. Then it's You're a trying point. to put words in my mouth. I'm but trying you to explain just to explained policies. that the S&P would be the a better return than Social Security. Given better returns so then you're for privatizing That is a fact. Don't cheapen privatization when the data is crystal clear that the returns would have been better. Okay, you're for You've said that you're for That means that it would have been a better situation than what we've seen to this point. Let's go into some of the other things. You were nominated for... Oh, scissor me timbers. I was just annoying. Because they only read talking points and create a they false don't know reality. Any, they don't know anything about anything. Yeah, that they want us to live in. When somebody starts challenging them and said, okay, I might not be for privatizing, but let's have a debate and let's look at the facts and let's look at the numbers. Let's let's crunch the data. Mm -hmm. No, it's not. No, it's not. No, it's you not. You just said you did. You just said you did. That's not true. That, 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 that. So you endorse it? You endorse it? Okay, he endorses it. Let's move on. <laughs> To my next talking point, which I can easily destroy. Uh, yeah, so, you know, that's that's kind of the pushback and, and uh, the absolute reeing that we're seeing from the, the radical progressive left, especially in the legacy media on shit outlets like MSNBC. And, uh, you know, it's because for once in a long while, we'll be able to pull the curtain back on the administrative state in ways we haven't, even during the Trump administration, because they were running up against... So much friction in their own party from the McConnell and Ryan-led delegations of rhinos throughout the course of Donald Trump's first term. He never just got down to it. You, you know, we heard and talk about frequently how excited we are for um, the implementation of Schedule F and the ability to just fire massive troves of them. Uh, if Donald Trump obtains the presidency in 2024, we, we heard... D.C. Drano kind of elaborate on that as well as something he's looking forward to. Uh, Dan Bishop was in the House of Representatives speaking on putting the deep state on notice and all of their, uh, you know, bureaucratic bullshit stuff that they do to violate the rights of Americans. And um, let's hear him for a bit. North Carolina is recognized. I thank the chairman. Mr. Speaker, with great power comes great responsibility. 
We entrust our Department like of Justice, reference. FBI, and intelligence community with great power to keep us safe. And yet, as long as these agencies have existed, they violated Americans' civil rights. Everyday Americans. The security state believes itself to be above the Constitution and the laws passed by Congress. Or perhaps the belief is only tacit. It is aware only of power. Not authority, power. The FBI spied on Frank Sinatra, John Lennon, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., and Muhammad Ali because they were national security threats. Celebrities, but everyday Americans, as to their constitutional rights. The intelligence community abused power to spy on presidential candidates, a sitting president, and members of Congress and their staffs. The FBI continuously coordinated with social media companies to moderate social content, the public square. So contemptuous are they and out of touch when confronted with this just weeks ago, they said we were merely engaged in engaging with our community partners. Mm. Leading up to the 2020 election, the FBI worked hand in hand with Twitter and Facebook to silence the Hunter Biden laptop story. Concealment from everyday Americans. They've continued to censor and silence criticism of COVID policies and vaccine mandates to the harm of everyday Americans. In 2013, the former director of the National Intelligence, James Clapper, lied to Congress about the NSA collecting data on millions of Americans, yet he's escaped a reckoning. The NSA spied on groups including Human Rights Watch and Amnesty International and other NGOs. FBI contractors conducted thousands of searches on NSA databases. The intelligence community spied on journalists and political opponents in clear violation of the First Amendment. That's not all just illegal. It's un-American, and it cannot continue. The government's massive surveillance apparatus is well documented, but there's still much more that we do not know. We owe it to the American people to reveal the rot within our federal government and cut it out so that it can no longer harm everyday Americans. Mr. Speaker, today we're putting the deep state on notice. We're coming for you on behalf of everyday Americans. I, I don't hate it. Mm, yeah. Antoinette, what do you think? He did point out a lot of things that for the most part, normally haven't been talked about up on Capitol Hill for the last couple of years, mainly because everyone was using every single avenue that they could to propriate this bullshit, spying on people, COVID stuff. Uh, and when I say spying on people, that, that goes from like the honeypots on social media all the way down to like literally spying on people like they did with Donald Trump while he was the president, while he was a candidate, Cash Patel, Devin Nunes, all these people that were kind of, you know, spun into the web there. I'm, I'm pun intended because of the Spider-Man reference at the top of that clip. But uh, what do you think? Is it good that we're finally having these discussions? Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, finally somebody is saying, you know, we're, well, we're allowed to have these discussions and people are going out there and saying the things that, you know, we know and weren't really allowed to be heard by the general public. So it's a good thing. And let's see what else happens. And I look forward to to the future of more exposure you know, one of the things I hope that the 20 and the eventual six will do w was moving forward, encourage people that like, 
listen, it, it probably seemed like a little politically scary while it was going on, maybe to how you think your constituents would think of you if you weren't always one of those guys or gals. Moving forward, maybe to have a couple more of them come out of their shells and kind of join that delegation. Like, we know the House Freedom Caucus is only about 45-ish people, but it wasn't even the entirety of them. There were several House Freedom Caucus members that was like, listen, I know McCarthy's going to be the speaker. I don't want to get involved with the bullshit, so I'm just voting always Kevin, which is fine. Um, Because we told everybody it was going to be Kevin McCarthy unless he pulled his nomination out because no one was getting close to 200 votes. Mm -hmm. So, but but I, I would think moving forward, people like Dan Bishop could encourage some of his counterparts who m- might feel that way, but don't necessarily campaign on it or even govern on it to come out of their shell and maybe jump on board with stuff that. Listen, it, it it's only stuff on the news until it happens to you, and, and more recently than not, it's starting to happen to people in Congress, their counterparts, their friends, their family, like they're just trying to intimidate everybody back to the days of like. We're the FBI, we're the DOJ, we're the administrative state. Listen, or we'll destroy you. And we finally have some legitimate pushback, which I think is uh, good because pushing back is something we're normally not comfortable with. One of the names that has come up in regards to comfortability levels Mm -hmm. is a powerhouse congressman representing the fighting New York 3rd District, George Santos. We haven't really commentated on it too much since George has been on the show the day before the midterm elections. I do want to point out, just based off the numbers and factually, that aside from Ron DeSantis, I don't think anybody had a marginally big a win as George Santos did in the midterm elections. He flipped a Biden plus 23 district to Santos plus eight. That's stuff that doesn't happen in, in, in modern-day politics, especially in places like New York. Um, it turns out that after the election, we found out that George Santos was untruthful about some things on his resume, places that he worked, degrees that he had or did not have, and things of that nature. But when you just look at the black and white of it, as a constituent who's going to the ballot box to vote for somebody in regards to making your life better... I'll just do a small straw poll here. No, Antoinette, do either one of you guys take into consideration when voting for a political candidate where they either went to school or what jobs they had before they ran for Congress? Yeah, no. Depends. The, the jobs probably jobs, might be yeah. important. Would it make or break your vote for him? No. No. I don't think so either. I mean, the jobs would be uh, relevant, okay. at least. Right. But I where they went to school, I mean... And yeah. also I was using that as an indicator of them being just like a total. So let's just say in George Santos's case, if he has a degree, but it wasn't from like an as prestigious university, like it turns out, or if he worked in like the big money sector and he worked alongside huge entities like Chase, but didn't really work for Chase or, or any of the other large ones, like he said he might have, that doesn't really make a difference, right? Like it's his experiences that he takes away that you, you kind of lump in there, huh? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, the Democrats aren't having it. No, of course and, not. And even though standing literally right behind them are some of the all-stars from the party, like Adam Schiff, who has lied under Congress and to the American people literally for the last, like, six and a half years, Eric Swalwell, who sits, sat, no longer, sat on an intelligence committee um, after literally having an extended sexual relationship with a confirmed Chinese spy from the CCP, and uh, Elon Omar, who... 
married her brother illegally to fraudulently obtain And that's confirmed, right? Confirmed US citizenship. How in is the United that still States. how is that still like it's <laughs> mind blowing. It certainly is. Like, that's fine. Now we've all played the over two minute clip of now Democrat minority leader in the House, Hakeem Jeffries. Uh, denying Donald Trump legitimately won the 2016 presidential election and why. He, like, went into it extent, like, shift level. Uh, He was out yesterday, flagged by all of these people who we just named, to talk about how George Santos, because he wasn't truthful on his resume while applying to run for Congress a second time. That's another thing a lot of people don't understand. George Santos ran for the same seat two years prior to this year's midterm. So in 2020, he won the seat went and went through congressional orientation up on Capitol Hill and then lost a late recount due to mail-in ballots. A lot of people don't know that. They think this guy just came out of nowhere. So it makes his big electoral win in, in a place like New York and, and with a president like Joe Biden, who's a Democrat, who won the district by so much, even that more remarkable, in my opinion. Now, his Legacy will be his voting record. The promises he made to his constituents is how he should be judged. And it seems like everyone from Kevin McCarthy, who's more of the establishment leader, to Matt Gates, have really cuddled up to this guy. We can announce it now. Our great friend, regular guest on the show, Vish Vera, has been hired as director of operations for George Santos and is now working up on Capitol Hill again. Another job in addition to the one he held for a position similar when he worked for Congressman Gates. And... um, Like I said, here's the leader of the Democrat Party currently in the House doing things that are important for the American people. Well, the spectacle that is George Santos speaks for itself. He's a complete and total fraud. Lied to the voters of the 3rd Congressional District in New York. Deceived and connived his way into Congress And it's now the responsibility of House Republicans to do something about it. There are ongoing investigations. The Nassau County District Attorney investigating George Santos. The Queens County District Attorney investigating George Santos. The State Attorney General investigating George Santos. Apparently... The U.S. Attorney from the Eastern District of New York investigating George Santos. Brazilian authorities investigating George Santos. And ethics complaints have been filed calling for an investigation of George Santos. This is not a partisan issue. But it is an issue that Republicans need to handle. Clean up your house. And you can. Good God. Just off the stuff that I said, there's so many more Nancy Pelosi, like everyone in, in the Democrat Party who's, who's just pathologically addicted to lying. And, and that's what they're going to like hang their hat on. And, and listen, for, for those of you that don't think they, they project so well, and if you don't catch it, you miss it. He just talked about how the Democrat caucus in the House of Representatives at like, the snap of a finger could weaponize the administrative state and have all of these entities like the judicial system in different parts of New York and, uh, you know, all of these ethics investigations and stuff like that just try to ruin your life. But here's the fact of the matter. If the Republican Party didn't want George Santos to be a congressman right now, they wouldn't have let him swore in. Mm-hmm. 
And the fact of the matter is, is that people like Matt Gates and the House Freedom Caucus have huddled around George to kind of pick him up. He was on the larger apparatus yesterday. Papa Bannon was out of the office. Matt Gates was hosting and brought George Santos in studio to talk about his uh, resume a little bit. Let's hear it. Uh, embellishing one's resume isn't a crime. It's frankly how a lot of people get to Congress, and we, we want everyone to be honest. And again, you've acknowledged that, and, and you're working for it going forward. Uh, one of the principal critiques I've heard is that a lot of money uh, was donated to your campaign by you, 700000 I believe. Where did it come from? Well, I'll tell you where it didn't come from. It didn't come from China, Ukraine, or Burisma. Oof. How about that? Well, yeah, that, that, that is an answer. I mean, I also put money into my campaign when I ran. I had to sell some of the property that I had acquired in my life in order to fund something that I really believed in. And, you know, when I was raising money for different charities, I always tried to put my own money in first. And so, you know, when you uh, donated that money to your campaign, is there anything else you can say about uh, the work you did that was the origin of, of those resources? Look, I've, I've worked my entire life. I've lived an honest life. I've never been uh, accused, sued of... of any bad doing. So, you know, it's, it's my, it's the equity of my hard working self. And I, I invested inside of me. Like I said, it didn't come from Burisma. It didn't come from Ukraine, Russia, China, uh, unlike some folks that we all know that get money from those sources. And, you know, at the end of the day, Congressman George Santos has a lot of work to do to clean up his, not only act, but reputation. Uh, you know, when you look at it in the totality of things and, and, and the the hypocrisies that go along with the things that the Democrat Party does on a regular basis, they've normalized lying and oh, deception yeah. and stuff like that. You, you just have to take into consideration, like, listen, what the guy did, you can't take away from him. How he got there might have not been the right way to do it. Moving forward, like I said, his voting records and the promises he made to his constituents over the next two years will be his legacy. And even though there are some real big rhinos in the Nassau GOP who are pushing back on George Santos right now, I tell you this, it is extremely hard, almost as hard as, as the feat he achieved when he flipped a Biden plus 23 to a Santos 8 in the 2022 midterm elections. You, you want to primary him or think you're just going to knock him out of that seat. It's a lot of votes you got to get back. And as long as he's doing what he promised to do, I, I assume that's what he's going to campaign on. Kevin McCarthy, during his first press conference yesterday, was asked about this and kind of elaborated a little bit more gracefully uh, than Matt Gates did. Let's hear the Speaker of the House when asked about George Santos. Why? You said, you said you're going to let Democrats appoint their own members to the committee, but you've also indicated you're not going to let them appoint. I was very clear early on. Um, let me phrase something very direct to you. If you got the briefing I got from the FBI, Oof. you wouldn't have Swalwell on any committee. <laughs> Dang. And you're going to tell me other Democrats couldn't fill that slot? He cannot get a security clearance in the private sector. Fact check true. So would you like to give him a government clearance? You <laughs> asked me questions about Santos. You asked the questions about Swalwell. Not only was he getting a clearance, he was inside an intel committee. He had more information than the majority of all the members. Did you ever raise that issue? Cope. No, which you should have. You're going to tell me there's 200 other Democrats that couldn't fill that slot, but they kept them on it? The only way that they even knew it came forward is when they went to nominate him to the Intel Committee. And then the FBI came and told the leadership then, he's got a problem. Yep. Mr. And they kept him on. That jeopardized all of us. Adam Schiff. Openly lied to the American public. All right, so we're listening into 
Uh, new House Speaker, Kevin McCarthy. He's and I wanted to play that end right there because as soon as he started tearing up all those people, CNN cut off what he was saying. And, it's and so sketchy that they're like that. Let's just bring it back to the panel and, 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 and redirect everybody to the false narrative we're creating about George Santos when Kevin McCarthy is making completely legitimate claims about other people who have served in Congress after doing literally the exact same things. Worse in context when you talk about national security, uh, being compromised with Swalwell, uh, false claims to to obtain your citizenship by Elon Omar, and then Adam Schiff, he's literally lied under oath to Congress. And then has gone on every TV show on the planet to, uh, you know, talk about it. We all know how much Tucker Carlson loves Eric Swalwell and uh, picked up right where Kevin McCarthy left off yesterday. Let's hear it. So Devin Nunes ultimately left the House Intel Committee. In fact, he left the House of Representatives. Eric Swallow of California went on the Intel Committee, and now he's getting booted off the Intel Committee, and he's very mad about it. He went on television yesterday to claim he's being ejected from this committee out of, quote, pure vengeance. Watch. Chris, the only person who supports this is my wife, who is like, great, you're going to be home to change more diapers. I love it. Um, but the, the truth is, Chris, it, it's purely vengeance, and I just want to walk your viewers through this, because this happened uh, nearly 10 years ago. The FBI told me that someone who had been helping our campaign in a district with 35% Asian Americans may be working with the Chinese government. I did what I hope every one of my colleagues would do, which was to help the FBI get this person out of the country. It's only now that you a Trump for a Intel years. official had leaked my cooperation to suggest that there was some wrongdoing on my part. Yeah. It's just political vengeance, says Eric Swell. But that's not true. And actually, we did some reporting on this because what actually happened is important. So the last director of national intelligence went to Capitol Hill and briefed the intel committees about foreign espionage threats. And at the time, he recommended to the so-called Gang of Eight that Eric Swalwell, the man you just saw, be removed from the House Intel Committee, the most sensitive committee in the House of Representatives. Why? Because he'd been compromised by China. And that's not an overstatement. A Chinese spy helped get Eric Swalwell elected to the Congress. A Chinese spy raised money for Eric Swalwell's campaign. A Chinese spy campaigned for Eric Swalwell. A Chinese spy placed staffers in Eric Swalwell's office. Yep. But the main problem, and the main problem that the intel community had with Eric Swalwell, is that he had sex with a Chinese spy. Now, we've made fun of him over the years for this, <laughs> but it's real. And Swalwell has never denied it because he can't deny it. And everyone who's looked into it knows that it's true. So we're not here to cast dispersions on Eric Swalwell's personal life. But if you're having sex with a Chinese spy, sorry, you can't be on the House Intel Committee. It's that simple. And, and it's pretty cut and dry. I feel like that's uh, two plus two. Yeah. Antoinette, I, I can only assume that you've never had sex with a Chinese spy before. But, you know, in, in Eric Swalwell's case, while I'm listening to Tucker Carlson talk there, and he's pointing out the lies that Eric Swalwell told on MSNBC this week. I'm thinking like, okay, this is where like a normal FBI would come out like literally the next day and said, we saw Congressman Swalwell on MSNBC lying and we want to clarify for the American people. But that's never going to happen. However, Tucker did elaborate there that at one point, somebody from the FBI's field office in Washington, D.C. did go up on Capitol Hill and talk privately to the Gang of Eight and told them like, listen, this guy is ridiculously compromised by China. We don't know. Honestly, and we'll never know what he exchanged with her information-wise, he should not be on anything intelligence-related. And he was allowed to be because the Democrats just said, nah, he's one of us. I don't care. 
Well, yeah, it's ridiculous. They had so many other options and so many other people they could have chosen to replace him, but they kept him on. And I wonder why. Because mm. a lot of them are compromised, exactly. you know, pretty much by the same CCP. Well, and that's the thing when it comes to, I mean, yes, it is a widespread attack on the country to have all these people associated with the CCP mm -hmm. in or whatever, but it's incrementally them stealing and taking over parts of it. Like you can coerce somebody on on one committee to do something you can bribe somebody on another committee to do something and eventually what you have is just a coordinated effort of people that don't realize they're part of a coordinated effort to do what's best for the chinese communist party because they're doing that of love yeah for the fang fang mm. well we're rounding third here heading home and we're going to end with a scream and a whisper oh save that Someone who caused more than just havoc throughout the course of Donald Trump's presidency, former disgraced Republican Speaker of the House Paul Ryan was on CNN yesterday taking pot shots of the 45th president. Um, it, it's pretty common in a lot of the rhetoric that he said before, but this is the newest version of it. Let's hear Paul Ryan and how he really feels about Donald Trump. But he has certainly empowered the kind of yeah. populism you're talking about, smash mouth, clicks, cable hits on Fox, et cetera, where oh, you're God. a board member, by the way. Um, he has popularized that. He Thanks has empowered that, that. that. We saw it last week. So how can this be achieved even within the Republican yeah. Party before you even get to the Democrats? A couple things. He's fading fast. He's a proven loser. He cost us the House in 18. He cost us the White House in 20. He cost us the Senate again and again. And I think we all know that. And I think we're moving past Trump. I really think that's the case. I, do, I can't imagine him getting the nomination, frankly. And I'm, I don't mean this because I, I don't want him to get the nomination. I just don't think he will as an analytical point. The, the thing that's, I, that I take solace in with all the machinations you saw last week, most of that wasn't personal. Most of that was around fiscal responsibility. Most of that was about a concern about spending, inflation, and debt. That's great. I think you need to persuade the country as to the solutions and the problem, and I don't think brinksmanship solves those things, but what's behind that is a good thing, which is Republicans finally reacquiring their moorings on the party of fiscal responsibility. <sighs> Refreshing. Mm. Or not. I'm not saying I don't want him to be, but I mean, I don't want him to be, but you know. <laughs> Can you imagine that at one point not too long ago he was one of like the rising stars in the Republican Party and was going to shape the no. the way we govern for no. decades to come? No. Yeah. No. And, and now he just uh, spoon feeds you the narrative that the Botox queen Laura Ingram and uh, Boomer Sweat Sean Hannity deliver on a nightly basis. Well, we're talking about Congress, and we have to talk about the end game here since apparently we're using Marvel references in our new segment now. Um, if, let's just say, some of this legislation that we know needs to get to the top of the chain gets there, and that's through the House, forearm shivers Mitch McConnell in the Senate, and makes it to Joe Biden's desk, you can rest assured that he's ready to at least read it and really consider on whether or not it's beneficial for the American people. Let's hear the 46th president of the United States and what he would do with uh, America First legislation. Come on. Is this how the House Republicans are starting a new term? Cutting taxes for billionaires? Raising taxes for working families? Making inflation worse? Well, let me be very clear. If any of these bills make it to my desk, 
veto them. Oh. I will flat veto them. I'm ready to work with the Republicans, but not this kind of stuff. Huh. And there you have it. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> He's got some of his own scandals to worry about now. And, uh, you know, I think I've, I left my garage door open. Well, ouch. <laughs> Hunter did it. Ooh, wouldn't that be like a, a real good plan? This so they're going after Biden, but then he decides, like, you know, I'm going to give up everything on Hunter in exchange to save my soul. Not like he has one left, yeah. he has an empty suit, but that would be like the uh, ultimate uh, pro gamer move right there. So, be amazing. I never really considered him a son anyway. <laughs> He's always been a disappointment. Yeah, but we we are going to... Take him out back behind the gymnasium. Listen here, Jack. We're reading classified materials. Hop in. (laughs) We're going to keep in the same thread of sticking with America first. We're talking Biden scandals. We're talking about the new Congress and more. And uh, we're going to be bringing in right now one of our favorites to discuss everything MAGA-related about it. Jumping in on the show with us now, she is the official spokesperson for the 45th president of the United States... Mr. Donald John Trump, Miss Liz Harrington, thanks for joining us again on Steak for Breakfast. Great to be with you. How's everything going with you, ma'am? I don't think we've had you on since the new year, so happy new year to you. And uh, what's new in, in MAGA country? Happy new year. No, things are, are great. I think they're going to be starting to pick up here soon, and uh, we couldn't be more excited. You know what? That's what we've been telling everybody. We saw some great policy-related videos come out from Donald Trump over the course of the last month and a half, in addition to the commentary he always provides in, in all of the interviews that he's been doing as well. And, uh, you know, we, we feel that he's getting ready to, to launch this campaign off full go, and, and we're really excited for it. But uh, probably not as excited as we were until we kind of read between the lines yesterday of the appointment of a special counsel for Joe Biden regarding mishandling of classified materials. Uh, when the news was breaking, you guys probably saw it one way, but after the special counsel was appointed and you saw who was leading it, you guys probably felt a little bit another way. You want to tell us what uh, you guys are looking at it from right now at the angle? Well, it looks like the swamp is certainly up to something, right? I mean, you've got this attorney who was the right-hand man of Rod Rosenstein during the whole Russiagate hoax. Um, so someone who's clearly deeply... Uh, political and partisan uh, with the Uniparty. Um, so what actually comes of this investigation, uh, I don't think there will be much, even though it turns out there actually is some there there when it comes to Joe Biden, unlike uh, the documents hoax for President Trump, who was actually the president of the United States, who had every right and authority to take documents and declassify them, by the way, which Joe Biden has no right to do. And again, I mean, I don't think you've ever seen the Democrats accuse President Trump of something that they themselves were not actually guilty of. They were the ones colluding with Russia. They were the ones uh, hoarding classified documents. I mean, the corruption, the the bribery, right? The quid pro quo with Ukraine, uh, eight times, right? They alleged uh, against President Trump falsely. And here we have, all these years later, so much evidence of the corruption and self-dealing with the Bidens in so many countries. And I think... Something that's key to point out as well, of all the things that the Justice Department could appoint a special counsel to look into Joe Biden, obviously he has mishandled classified documents and that's fine, but there is so much more. 
I mean, you have bribery, you have corruption, you have extortion. It's all on the laptop from hell. They've had it for years. They've buried it. And now it looks like they're kind of leveraging this uh, when these documents came to light that have been floating around, again, for seven years unsecured uh, that have to do with actual national security uh, and something that Joe Biden had no right to uh, have in his possession. But the, the fact that they're going after him for this, I think um, it's way too late, right? And it seems like they have another agenda here. Yeah, which means, do you, are you guys thinking that maybe the administrative state and, and all the corruption, the deep-rootedness, I mean, Joe Biden's obviously a part of it, it being, you know, a swamp monster for, for over 50 years now. Uh, but do you think they're actually done with the experiment that is Joe Biden, the empty suit that they just tell what to do and he, you know, rolls out there and reads off a teleprompter and they're looking probably to move in a different direction in, in 2024? It certainly could be because, you know, think about it. Think about 2024. What's this election going to be? They're going to have to pretend that whatever Democrats running gets more than 81 million votes, right? (laughs) Do you think Joe Biden, they're really going to be able to pretend that Joe Biden gets more than, you know, he set the record last time, but now he's going to get 85 million. I mean, what are they going to do, right? It's so preposterous. You're getting into, you know, Stalin level, Saddam Hussein level, vote totals before too far too long. So I think that could be part of it. Who knows? But when I was watching this press conference yesterday, I was just thinking, you know, this is the deep state flexing its muscle. They're showing you exactly who's in charge. They will, you know, leverage whatever they can against people. That's and that's the real problem. That's how corrupt this is. They're not actually going after real crimes, even though in the case of Joe Biden, there are real crimes. There's yeah. a host of real crimes that they could go after. They're, they go after people uh, to use leverage and for power. Uh, and that's been clear, right? They they investigated Donald J. Trump the moment he came down the, the escalator uh, for no good reason. They're still doing it to this day. It is so disgusting. But they've also investigated, you know, they've had Hunter Biden, right? And now it looks like they might charge him with some total non-important uh, crimes when there's a whole host of real crimes on that laptop. Um, they've investigated Hillary Clinton, right? They've invested now they're investigating Joe Biden. It just shows that this uh, administrative state likes to use leverage uh, against uh, you know anybody to show that they're the ones that actually are pulling the strings. Yep. I think that's really dangerous for a constitutional republic. Um, and again, Joe Biden should be investigated. He's actually the one that has a, you know a half a century of corruption. Uh, and there's so much proof of it. Um, but yet for all the things now they're doing this, it just seems a, a little bit like the swamp is playing playing some games here. Yeah, it certainly is. And, uh, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how this whole thing shakes down. Like you said, the, the, the Hunter Biden stuff is stuff that's out there. It's known. It's factual. Uh, and, and we all know how the administrative state works. We remind our audience all the time. There was one name in town back in the day, and it was the Clintons. Hillary Clinton was the heir apparent to the White House. 
they helped create Barack Obama to add not only like diversity, but just a little bit of easy competition that could look like it might be a decent fight. And then at the end of the day, the Clinton, you know, machine will just run over Barack Obama. And when Barack Obama picked up speed, the administrative state decided to hitch their wagon to him and they killed the Clinton machine, uh, you know, for two terms. And the fact of the matter is the administrative state could do the exact same thing with Joe Biden. They've necessarily got out of him what they wanted. The economy's tanked. The border's open. Geopolitics are a mess. China's just hanging over our head. And uh, they could just roll on to somebody that doesn't need a teleprompter, like a Gavin Newsom or, or, or one of the ladies in Congress who have you know ran for the president before over there and can articulate their message a little bit more to the American people. So we all just need to keep in mind, just because, you know, the, the Democrats don't ever get in trouble, don't think they won't throw Joe Biden out with the rest of the garbage like they do whenever they're done using someone to the extent that they've used him. Liz, right. yes, yesterday Kevin McCarthy held his first press conference. Uh, I thought he had a lot of good parts, talked about stuff about January 6th, talked about the hypocrisy in regards to people like, you know, Eric Swalwell and Elon Omar, Adam Schiff, compared to like somebody like George Santos. Uh, and, and he talked about the stuff going on uh, with Joe Biden and the documents, and, and he wanted to know where where's the receipts of, you know, show me the documents in Joe Biden's garage park next to his Corvette, like just like you did when you tried to embarrass Donald Trump at Mar-a-Lago, even though the document's there. We're secured. Uh, the fact of the matter is it looks like he's got a pretty good agenda rolling out. Donald Trump, you know, it's already widely known that he was instrumental in giving Kevin McCarthy the uh, ability to win the speakership and hold the gavel now. Now, as they're getting ready to go to work, how optimistic are you and how optimistic is the Trump team that this Congress is really going to put the, you know, screws to the Biden administration and, and, and start getting this country back on the right track as we're getting ready to jump into the 2024 presidential election cycle? Well, I think it is exciting. I think after that speaker fight, there were some very good uh, deals made for the country and a more unified Republican Party as a result in the House. And that was President Trump's goal. And, you know, President Trump, I remember when he said, you know, Kevin might be a good speaker. He might also be a great speaker. Uh, and that is what he was pushing for. And I think that press conference yesterday was very, very strong. He's committing now to release the 14,000 hours uh, of January 6th security footage, which would tell the actual story. Um, these The rules package that they voted on, he followed through on uh, as means that there's no more omnibus bills, which is just crucial for our country. We have more conservatives on these uh, important committees. Uh, which I think we're already going to see the fruit of. Um, and, you know, it remains to be seen, obviously, um, with everything that they've promised, but we've got the debt ceiling yep. uh, coming up very soon. And President Trump has been pushing so hard to make sure that the American people actually get something out of this. And that's, I think, what Kevin McCarthy needs to do. He's in a position to do it. He's got the backing of a more unified caucus now. Uh, and so I think we should be optimistic. Obviously, it's still Washington and it's not going to be perfect, of course. However, I think because the speaker fight happened, because President Trump w was instrumental also, and Kevin McCarthy depends on the MAGA movement for his job, I think we're in such a better position to negotiate with the, the swamp creatures in the Senate, the uniparty hacks over there with Mitch McConnell. And I think we're in a better position than we otherwise would have been to get some real uh, 
concessions for the American people, which is most important. I mean, we've got to secure the border. Uh, we've got to get this economy under control. We, we've got to get inflation under control, crime, so many other things. Um, but if they can get something on the border from this debt ceiling negotiation, I think will be absolutely crucial. No, I agree with you there. I think that's one of the most important components. And uh, one of the biggest things uh, that that is that leads me to believe that we are going to get this done. We don't have to name names, but how impressed were you to see that that small group of congressmen hold the line to make sure that not only and it wasn't all concessions. Kevin McCarthy, in in, in his list of things that he was going to include in the rules for the 118th Congress, brought back a lot of the things that were normal until Nancy right. Pelosi abolished them to make her rule as Speaker of the House easier and and, and less challengeable from anybody else in her caucus. But uh, how, how pleased were you to see them not only fight to get those things back in the rules, but how great is it to see that some of those young House Freedom Caucus members are now going to be able to vote, uh, which their their ideology lines up a lot more with America First than, than you know, the, the rhinos and some of the establishment Republicans we have in Congress, unfortunately. Right. Um, I think it was very impressive. I think it was very exciting and good for the people to actually see uh, people engage in debate. And, you know, something that is as important as a Speaker of the House, the third in line to the presidency, you know, it should be, you know, kind of difficult to get, right? It should be something that you negotiate for and follow through on and actually hold up promises uh, like President Trump did, right? I mean, when he was running um, back in 2015, 2016, he was never a politician. He had to put out agenda item after agenda item of what he would do, and then he followed through. Yep. And it's the same thing. If you want a position of authority, you need to be able to lay out to the American people not just what the agenda is, but how you're going to get it done. And so I think for the people to be able to see that on, on C-SPAN, um, people actually caring about the country and saying, no, this is important enough to wait a couple days and make sure we get it right. I, I think the outcome was, was great. And I think President Trump was very pleased as well. You know, he was worried. He was concerned that we could get a worse outcome. Right. And that's what he was saying from the very beginning. But as it played out and as he was talking to all these members and intimately involved, he saw that, wow, there's a real opportunity and it can be better for the country in the end. And so I, I think that's where we ended up. Um, obviously, there's a lot of work to do and there, we, we, we can vote on these things and signal and show that, yes, we want to get rid of 87,000 IRS right. agents and all these things. But tying them to actually must pass legislation, that'll be a key. So um, I think it's it's a it's a much better position that we otherwise would have been. I think that goes credit to Kevin McCarthy and credit to the 20. I agree. And uh, moving forward, it's going to be interesting to see them tackle things like the debt ceiling, but, but even maybe equally or more important is, is the ongoing threat that we face from the CCP and China. We saw you were sharing stuff today. Donald Trump over the last 48 hours has shared some uh, pieces from interviews he did talking about the constant and rising threat of China. What does this Congress really need to do to, I mean, we are so deep-rooted in special interests and, and lobby groups that are connected to the CCP in some way to really start re-regulating the way we act as a governing body to make sure that these votes aren't influence them as much as they have been in the past. Right, and I think Kevin McCarthy kicking off Eric Swalwell, 
an Adam Schiff off these committees is a good start. Sure is. Um, I mean, that was that was a great thing to see also. And I think it's a, a signal that, wow, maybe this will be the real deal. Um, the select committee on China, very important and very important that the pressure is on them to not sweep anything under the rug and not to do kid gloves. Um, that obviously, you know, members of the political establishment might like to see. So we have to get more sunlight on this. I mean, uh, these investigations, I think, have to be um, carry real weight, not just for show, not just for, you know, theater, but real consequences uh, and using the power of the purse to uh, the advantage of the American people. Yeah. I think there's so much more power that, you know, the House is not acted on. And obviously, there's incredible power there. And we need to make sure that the American people actually are the benefits, beneficiaries of this this time. And, and President Trump was talking about it. I mean, the idea that we even have Joe Biden, <laughs> who is clearly funneling money. I mean, the UPenn yeah. Biden Center for Diplomacy. I mean, Biden Center for Pay to Play yeah. is more like it. I mean, that's a million dollars a year, um, tens of millions of dollars from the Chinese Communist Party that they funneled into that university. That is just one example. I mean, their money into academia, into our sports leagues, into our Hollywood, everything. I mean, there's there's so much. Um, they were always the real number one threat. President Trump always understood this um, and was the only one who would act, who actually took actions to hold China accountable, and he's going to do it again. No, he certainly is, and he's already starting to get ahead of that narrative because it's one of the things, if we really wanted to get to the root causes of why the CCP is making life miserable for everyone in the United States right now, except the people whose pockets they're lining, we got to get into, like, student and worker visas. We got to get into, like you said, influence over Hollywood and influence over sports leagues, professional sports teams. A lot of people don't even know. There are so many movies out there, like Hollywood blockbusters, and they essentially make two different versions of the movies so they can have ones that are appropriate to show in China. Right. And, and, and people don't even know that, but that's like a normal thing. Everything from like Disney cartoons all the way up to like huge big budget films. And we, we just can't continue to live under this because what it's doing is it's bankrolling our country to the point to where they're eventually going to be able to overtake us in the world economy. Unless someone like Donald Trump is ready to step back in there and uh, pump the brakes to it, which we all know he could. Last thing, Liz, we're going to posterize a little bit of one of Donald Trump's favorite people to dunk on because at the end of the day, when you at least talk about it domestically, he is the root cause of all the problems in Congress, an overwhelming majority of problems in Washington, D.C., and what's wrong with just politics in general this day. Mitch McConnell, we saw him celebrate uh, his ability to whip anywhere from one to three Democrat senators in, in doing what would normally be uh, the Republican leader in the Senate's job to, uh, you know, get the omnibus pill passed a couple weeks ago, which was a complete embarrassment for him. Uh, it's essentially, he traded it for a bridge because him and Joe Biden went to celebrate it shortly after the new year. And as we're moving into the general election campaign, we can almost expect no help from Mitch McConnell when it comes to uh, anything going on in the Senate. We know he's got a huge comms office. He holds money over people's heads. He's got like 20 senators who says like, listen, this is the message that we're putting out as the Senate, and I'm the Werther's original spokesperson, so you have to listen to me. And, and that's basically where we're at with Mitch McConnell right now. Moving forward, 
how is Donald Trump gonna gonna help whip those fighters in the Senate right now? There was a group of eleven who challenged him for leadership, and, and want to be able to have a more America First Senate to to get everybody in line and and, and get him out of a position to where he holds so much control over that wing of the house. Right. And speaking of China also, Mm. right. I mean, you've got someone who's clearly got so much financial ties. Um, It is an absolute disgrace what Mitch McConnell has done to our party, to our voters. Uh, What he did with that omnibus bill was just the latest in, you know, two years of selling out uh, the American people, not having a real opposition, just controlled opposition in the Senate, giving uh, Biden and the Democrats everything they wanted, literally everything. And like you said, whipping votes to, to get more senators on board. Um, President Trump is leading the fight against Mitch McConnell. Yeah. And he was aiming a lot of fire at him um, especially during the speaker's battle, too, because, I mean, a lot of the reasons why um, people did not want to vote for Kevin McCarthy was because of that omnibus bill, what yep. had just happened. And that falls directly at the feet of Mitch McConnell. And so I hope that some of these more uh, conservative America First senators uh, look at what happened in the House and maybe gives them a little bit more courage to, to go up against Mitch McConnell. Um, and they should know that the people are on their side, obviously. I mean, there's such a disconnect. We've talked about it so many times before. But there's such a disconnect of you know those who think they wield power in Washington and actually what power they have in the grand scheme of things. And <laughs> Mitch McConnell is a perfect example of that. He has no popular support whatsoever. Um, and the people, the rest of the members of the par- party in the Senate need to realize that this is destroying our country. Yeah. And this is so much bigger than party. Uh, it's about the future of our great country and whether we're going to have one. And if we keep allowing corrupt politicians like Mitch McConnell and, and members of the Uniparty to sell out the American people, there won't be much left. And so the time is really now. I'm, I'm encouraged by what's happening in the House. Um, they are closer to the people, and it, it certainly looks like they're behaving that way now. Um, we get, need to get more senators on board to challenge, um, challenge his leadership because it is a total failure, and President Trump is going to be taking it to him. Uh, you don't have to worry about that for the next you know, two years. No, I'm I'm excited for it. I think all of our listenership is as well. When you just look at the political landscape for the 2024 general election cycle and and how many uh, Senate seats the Dems have to defend, I believe it's 23. A lot of people don't know seven of those seats uh, just off top. That's before Donald Trump even rolls out a candidate or decides to endorse anybody. Seven of those seats Donald Trump won in 2016 and 2020. So the Dems have their work cut out for them if they want to retain power in the Senate, fight to get power back in the House, and worry about the presidency, where all Republicans have to do is show the American populace that they have the real comprehensive solutions. They have are offering up a clear, strong leader, both at home and abroad. And moving forward, if we could just get back to that, those Trump-era policies are going to come back, and you're going to feel benefits everywhere from, like, the wallet to how safe you feel when you walk the streets of where you live at night. So 
Liz, this has been awesome sitting down with you. It always is. You you bring everything to the table. That's you know definitely hot stove issues for us. And uh, for anyone that's not following you across social media, we're going to link the campaign website in the show description today. But what's your handles? Uh, at Real Liz USA. And we will greatly be anticipating your next appearance on the show in February. This is the official spokeswoman for the 45th president of the United States, Ms. Liz Harrington. Thanks for joining us on Steak for Breakfast. Thanks so much for having me. Well, nobody likes trying new things twice. Noah rate it. (laughs) I got an organic laugh out of you anyway. If you enjoyed this episode of the show and want to find every place that Steak for Breakfast podcast is, you can find us across every downloadable podcasting platform. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, Podata, Google Podcasts, FM Player, iHeartRadio, the Patriot Podcast Network on the Roku app, or even on Frank's Beach. Subscribe to the show and rate it, leave a review, and don't forget to download, listen, like, follow, and share Steak for Breakfast content. Show creds go to all of our amazing guests today. We let off the show with an exclusive from the editor-in-chief of the National Pulse, Mr. Raheem Kassam. We sat down with Rogan O'Hanley, or commonly known as DC Drano, for the first time. Also for the first time, EJ Antoni, econ specialist from the Heritage Foundation and the spokeswoman for Mr. Donald Trump. That's Liz Harrington all joined us today. Friends, don't forget to go out and throw your hard-earned cash at our partners because when you do that, the only thing that happens is you help make small American businesses great again, namely MyPillow. You like sleep, you love coffee, Mike Lindell's got you taken care of for both. And a promo code stake here, you're going to experience massive savings that only justify what is Mike Lindell's mustache. MyPillow.com forward slash stake for anything sleep related. If you want the coffee, MyStore.com forward slash stake. Or you could always talk to a qualified pillow representative. 1-800-658-8045. The top tier of ear gear and the best damn headphones that I've ever owned. They can only be found at Odyssey. If you're recording podcasts, you're making a little music, you want the quality that goes into your ear to be that of the heavens. Odyssey.com is the website there. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram as well. Our good friend Alan has the Patriot Cigar Company. If you want some cigars, Alan will get you taken care of there. You enter promo code stake here, you're getting 15% off your order. Every order over 100 bucks, free shipping, and a $10 e-gift card comes with every purchase. The website is Patriots, MyPatriotCigars.com, a premium smoke for freedom-loving Patriots. And our newest friend to the uh, Partners Foundation, Farmer Bill's Beef Jerky. $5 off when you enter promo code STEAK. You order a 12-pack, you get free shipping. Pretty amazing there. We're, we're very excited to have them. Upcoming shows. Let's see what we got rolling here. We'll be back next week. Tuesday is now going to be Wednesday. We will be sitting down with uh, Newsweek contributor Josh Hammer. Always a great conversation with him. The editor-in-chief of the National Post will be here literally this time, Mr. Raheem Kassam. And uh, it looks like congressman that's representing California's 3rd District, Kevin Kiley, will be making his first appearance on Steak for Breakfast since being sworn in uh, representing California's 3rd District. Next Friday, well, equally as good, we're going to talk to... uh, Aiden Bazzetti from the Bull Moose Foundation and find out what they're doing to help shape young Republicans coming up. And we're going to have Devin Nunes. I'm pretty sure he's going to have a lot to say regarding everything that's going on with the new Congress, all the new committees, and especially the stuff with the Joe Biden special counsel. Christina Bob, Matt Whitaker, and Boris Epstein will be here the following week. On Tuesday the 24th, on the 27th, Jake Denton, EJ Antonio will be back, and Tom Homan. Donald Trump's former ICE director will be here. I don't know the date confirmed yet, and I don't want to get 
Steve Bannon's panties in a bunch, but Matt Gates is going to be on one of those shows. I don't know which one, but I'm just putting it out there. I talked to Joel yesterday on the telephone, and it's going to happen that week. The 31st of January, we're going to end the month even better than we started. Congressman from Ohio 7, Max Miller, will be here. So very exciting to be circling back with all of our friends. Speaking of which, Friends of the Week, Truth, Social, Twitch Streamer Crew, Beastman420, Siberian Kitten, 13 Gen Patriot, some call me Tim79. MAGA game memes came in this week with a lot of shares, and so did Kara Lee. Some of our other internet friends, especially from Twitter, William S, Nightwing X, Spoopy, and Ludi, that mouthy mom, and John G. No, I have some bad news to report regarding Friends of the Week. It appears the upside down man might have been our Fed. Account? What? Gone. Direct message? Gone. He doesn't exist anymore. It's just gone. That's weird. So weird. Upside down man, if you're listening, please come home. <laughs> you make our comment sections great. Can't forget the meme team. Lauren Eve, Machiavelli memes, Namrock Namrock, John Hacker LA, Grand Old Memes, Mostly Peaceful. Edward Russell, Let's Go Brenda. And Who White Memes. What else do we got? Things to remember between now and Tuesday. Number one, do your own research. Number two, start a podcast. Totally. Sorry. <laughs> Number three, let's start talking about American greatness again. We're definitely talking about it on this show. Everyone needs to start talking about it more. Let's start talking about American greatness. And last but certainly not least, let's see what happens. This has been episode 204 of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. We'll be back 205 next Tuesday. Raheem Kassam, Josh Hammer, Kevin Kiley, all going to be here. On behalf of the pod team, I'm Roan. Noah? Later. Antoinette? Hi, guys. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend. Take care. Tell me again, where's the lake? Right there. And where's the summer camp? Right over there. I'll take it. Who in the world would want to kill a camper? Don't look at me. I'm just here to drop off my son. Justin, Justin, that does not work for me.